This, this, this is a Tape Deck Podcast. Hey everybody, it's H, and welcome to a very special Christmas Eve installment of Dune Pod, where we talk to our friends about the movies we love. This week, I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Jason. I don't like that he's choking her, but I, I want him to choke me. We celebrate the triumphant return of the showrunner of House of the Dragon, Ryan Condal. I saw it with my dad, and it was intensely uncomfortable. We complete this phase of our James Cameron, Michael Bean journey with one of the greatest science fiction action movies of all time, Terminator 2, Judgment Day. If you're enjoying the show, we need your help. Take a minute to leave us a five-star rating and review wherever you listen to your podcast, or just tell your friends or family about us, because it really does help new listeners find the show. We also have a Discord server where you can hang out with us online whenever you want, even over the holidays. A link is in the show notes. And now, without further ado, T2. I made this sounder like over a month ago, and we haven't had a chance to use it yet. All right. What is, what's that for? That's the official Dune Pod explosive decompression sounder. Oh, yeah. yeah. Don't worry, it'll come up again. Someone I hope will get so. blown out of an airlock soon. About time. Uh, the only thing I have sounder-wise is this. <laughs> yes! Elon sucks at his job. Yes, Elon sucks at his job. Uh, it's We haven't done an update in a while just because the pace of Elon being terrible at running Twitter is so rapid that it's difficult to kind of uh, keep up with on a weekly podcast basis. Let's also be honest, just also the emotional toll that it is taking on us has made it less fun. You know, I guess that's true. It's definitely less fun. I would like to not have it in my life anymore from some extent, but like just Twitter. I don't mind talking about it on the podcast. Once a week would be great. If it could just be once a week, that would be great. But um, something so dumb happened yesterday that I feel compelled and by popular request to comment on it. Um, And that is that. So Elon went through this whole thing, which we won't like recap in great detail about releasing the Twitter files which was like decision-making that Twitter uh, underwent around content moderation in the 2020 election, and particularly like the the banning of Donald Trump and the decision to suppress the Hunter Biden laptop story and all of these like kind of like details and decisions went around there. And I think like a fair reading of those events would be that it was a lot of complex decision and people trying to make like, uh, you know, a good read on the problem. But Elon decided to like, spin this out in this like dramatic, oh, we've uncovered this conspiracy. And in doing so, um, you know, gave a lot of fodder to right wing conspiracy theorists and nuts and also like endangered the lives of people who used to work at Twitter by like, you know, making them seem personally responsible for um, these decisions and playing some kind of nefarious role. And in some cases, casting aspersions that they were involved in, like child pedophilia, like, I mean, just really, truly vile stuff. Like people had to flee their homes because Elon targeted uh, these people and, and pointed his right wing mob at them, which is like what this whole project is about. Like he just wants to exercise political grievance against his enemies um, and use his mob of fanatics to like be pointed at people he considers to be too woke or whatever. Um, and it's all very gross and terrible. 
horrible. And he's doing it in the name of free expression, which is just completely untrue. It's just a way of of settling political scores. There was a good article in Politico today that compared the Twitter files and the way that it was rolled out selectively, you know, mm-hmm. shown to Matt Taibbi and mm-hmm. Barry, Barry Weiss, Weiss yeah. uh, and then released um, only on Twitter in that way, as opposed to the Facebook files, right. which happened last year, which was an extensive Wall Street Journal, you know, thoroughly researched and then carefully released to the media and shared with everybody. Um, and basically the assertion is that's why that one resonated and the media has largely ignored the Twitter files for the bullshit that it is. Yeah, exactly. Like the, the media has largely ignored it because it's just on its form. It doesn't like, it, it doesn't look legitimate. Like it, it was like, oh, it's clearly being ginned up just to be controversial. And that's good for like agitating his army of weirdos, but like, that's not actually the way that news work. And if you want it to be reported as news, you're going to have to allow real journalism to happen on it, which he's not because he just wants to like cherry pick these very specific events. And like as evidence of his like intellectual bankruptcy on this and it having nothing to do with like a conviction about transparency, building trust or any of these other bullshit free slogans that he ascribes to his motivations here. Yesterday, (laughs) he banned from Twitter uh, this account, Elon Jet, which was using publicly available flight tracking data that the government releases. It's still online. It's available to anyone where you can track any flight, you know, including, you know, Air Force One on public websites. And a guy had set up a bot that was reposting the flight routes from Elon's jets and a bunch and the jets of a bunch of other oligarchs, like, you know, Jeff Bezos jets and Russian oligarchs and a whole bunch of people. And Elon had Mm. said when he took over that he was so committed to free speech, he wasn't going to take down that account, which he had previously tried to buy. But then because he had his his kid, his whoever's watching after his kid had a, a apparently scary encounter with a paparazzi in L.A., he decided that somehow the jet tracking was to blame this particular Twitter account, which was to blame, which there's no evidence that that's true. And he changed the rules such that this account can no longer exist and banned the accounts from existing, all of the accounts from existing, banned the account of the guy who created the those pots, even though he wasn't leaking information. And uh, not only that, but put in mechanisms to pre- to prevent links to flight trackers on other sites from being shared, um, which is exactly the sin that Twitter was accused of doing in the Hunter Biden laptop case by not allowing linking to the New York Post story that reported on it that in and of itself was a sketchy story. Anyway. And then also posted video of the guy in the car, right. including his license plate right. and was like, does anybody know who this asshole so is? We're in, this rule is just like, I, and so this is just what's going to, what Twitter is going to be like now. It's like living under the reign of like a mad king who has like absolute authority and can do whatever he wants. But like, there's no reason why the decisions have to be like well-informed or good. Like the, the the silliness of this like location tracking should not be allowed policy is so dumb that you can see it in like, you know, he decided to unban Trump based on a popular vote run via Twitter poll. And so apparently using Twitter itself to incite an insurrection and an armed rebellion against the government and storming the Capitol in which lives were lost in the U.S. Capitol, that's fine. You could keep your Twitter account if you do that. But Mm -hmm. if someone were to post the location, identify the people who were at the January 6th riot and say, like, actually, you know, that person on January 6th, that's who that is, like, you know, like doing using open source intelligence, that would now be against this policy and that wouldn't be allowed. So you can storm the Capitol, but you cannot be identified as being at the Capitol um, for for, (laughs) while storming it. Like, it's just ridiculous. Um, and you know, I, 
I, it's just like, as we've said before in this segment, Twitter's not going to die right away. It's just going to become more dumb and more broken as we go along. Uh, and it's mm. a sad state of affairs. It is sad state. I, I keep thinking that eventually he's going to get bored with it uh, or that Tesla shareholders are going to riot um, and that he's going to be in pressure. I guess how 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 tight is his grip ultimately on Tesla? Does he, he has super he... control of Tesla, like a uh, like, but like, you know, it is the case that he just yesterday or earlier this week had to sell another three billion dollars worth of Tesla stock. Um, because of, you know, presumably because of all the expenses that he's going to incur in running Twitter and like, you know, yeah, Tesla's trading at 52 weeks lows, like, you know, it, like they're, they are increasingly, the Tesla longs are increasingly asking him to please pay attention to the, the company where he makes all his money as opposed to this distraction, but he's not going to, right. he's, and he's continuing to double down on the ridiculousness of the things that he's doing with Twitter, um, and, and digging the hole even deeper, a special, um, shout out of shame to VC podcaster, David Sachs, who, um, who is like one of the people in the brain trust with Elon. And he had pre he put had, me in coach. He had previously that's Calcanus, but Sachs is also, oh, sorry. Sachs is also in there and awful. And he, uh, he had tweeted this thing. He tweeted a lot about what he thought about the censorious nature of Twitter and how they had messed up their content policy. And that the only, he had, had this tweet in 2021 where he's like, my content moderation policy is the first amendment. What's yours? And he went on this whole chain after the Elon takeover about how the first amendment uh, like should be the only guiding principle of what's established in a court of law that should govern what Twitter, which is nonsensical. Twitter's a nope. private business. Nope. The first amendment doesn't apply. Nope. But even still, the idea that, that now that he is supporting this new policy that you can't post publicly available information that is out there on the internet publicly by statute it is publicly available it must be published the idea that you cannot post that on twitter is somehow consistent with his radical first, first amendment. amendment position is completely ridiculous and obviously just shows as with elon that this is just about settling partisan grievance of advancing these very specific parochial concerns around making sure that you can, you know, abuse trans people on Twitter, you know, that you can, uh, th that you can, you know, like go after the woke mind virus, like these very specific local U.S. politics, culture war issues that have nothing to do with free speech. That's all these guys care about and are going to continue to use this platform for that purpose. It's kind of tough because they basically can't lose, right? So this was a platform that was uh, plenty of right-wing stuff, very popular on the platform yeah. and used for that. But you also had a lot of just reality-based journalism that was occurring there and conservatives felt like they did not have a fair shake. So if they either A, take it over or B, just destroy it, either way, they feel like they're winning. Uh, right. It's like destroying Twitter to own the libs. They're going to feel like they're winning. I mean, there's already been this big attrition in, in users like who, you know, like the famously like Ken White Pope at Pope Hat like quit and was like, I'm not going to be here. And he's like, and that to me was like one of these like kind of signature accounts with someone who really got the format and was using it effectively. Um, he he himself was he's a former federal prosecutor, he's a, a first um, uh, first amendments right lawyer. Uh, now. Mm. And he's like, yeah, I'm like just kind of done here. And that's how the First Amendment should work. Like you should be able to just like, yeah, they own it. They can make the rules they want. I think the rules are gross. And the fact that they're targeting employees doesn't make me feel like I should contribute my content to it. So I'm just going to go somewhere else. And that's fine. That's how the internet works. And that's true. Like that's how it should, you know, that's how it should work. Like people should just be able to go whatever. As someone who has like a lot of 
personal attachment to the platform. It's a bummer to see like some of my favorite accounts like going away. And now like when I log in, it just looks like a wasteland. To them, it's going to feel like it's worked because they're just gonna get like so much amplification from the people that remain and that vibe with this wacky reactionary politics that they're engaged in. So it will feel mm. like they've won, but like they will have won a much smaller, much more insular, self-focused, masturbatory in you know platform that's just about reinforcing this bullshit. F those guys. I do not support anything that they are doing <laughs> and actively resist. Uh, and we will continue to fight them uh, <laughs> with all the tools at our disposal. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> including this podcast and this segment of this especially, podcast. Yes. Especially this podcast. Yeah. All right. That has been Max Petty. Yes. All right. Mug well, available now. Support Max Petty by ordering your Max Petty mug on the Dean Bob merch <laughs> store. Golly. Man, that was a downer, Jason. This is our Christmas episode. Well, listen, some of us get petty for Christmas. That's how we do it in my faith. The petty lasted for eight nights. Happy holidays. Happy holidays to everyone. How do you feel? You know, I'll be real. Christmas is not my favorite season. <laughs> it's a lot of activity. It's a lot of things going on all the time. It's fairly stressful. That being said- Are you at war with Christmas? I'm not at war with Christmas, but I've, I've just like, I've never, I don't have like, Christmas wasn't a big part of my childhood. I don't have like a big mm. attachment to it for those reasons. That being said, now that the kids are four and two, like they're much more into Christmas. Like that Griffin at least understands what Christmas is. Yeah. And like is into it. Obviously it's like, you know, set up for him. And it is fun that like the kids are into it. And like Griffin loves like, like the lights and the tree and the advent calendars and getting presents and the cookie decorating. He loves all that stuff. So that cool. the, like the, the fact that like now, like the kids are starting to be of age and like, you know, we can dress them in cute outfits and they look adorable and stuff like that. So like, the, the fact that the kids are now aging into prime Christmas um, does make it more exciting. Sam is like, I just cannot adequately convey how stoked he is for the Lego Star Wars advent calendar. Mm, yeah, that's a good one. That is, is the opening of every morning. Yeah. And it's just like the greatest thing yeah. because he knows he can't open the advent calendar until he's dressed for school. Yeah. And down and ready to eat breakfast. That's great. And so like, it's a great forcing function. Yeah, we do ours at night. Which, oh, uh, I, I I didn't think about the the get ready the get ready prod. Um, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a great hack. Yeah, it's a good uh, hack to, to to get that happen. Well, uh, you know, we talked about it. I guess I don't know. It's an episode in the future, probably at this point. But this is our very last recording for twenty two. Oh my god, amazing. Yes. We're off for the next three weeks, although we have already banked up all these episodes. We've been busting ass to, to get that done. And there's some good ones coming. I've been listening to the drafts lately. And like, despite recording like every hour of the day, we sound as fresh <laughs> and 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 joyful as ever. Yes. So I'm excited for people to hear the, the Dune Pod Christmas Spectacular. It's going to be great. So tonight for our episode, our special guest, this is his fourth time. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Fourth fourth time on Dune Pod. So generous. It's a Christmas miracle, the triumphant return of the showrunner of the House of the Dragon, Ryan Condal. It's amazing. It's one of the great joys of having never done this podcast that we get to talk to him. He's a great guest. He really gets like the stuff that we care about, which is awesome. Yeah. And yeah. like can discuss it in a level of detail that is beyond us because he's an actual filmmaker. 
And then like he also happens to be running like the hottest television property in the universe. So it's great for us. I don't know what he gets out of it, but I'm great. I'm <laughs> grateful that he I'm grateful he keeps coming back. I'm very thankful. He is also the co-host of the Stuff Dreams Are Made Of podcast, which is his movie props yep. and memorabilia collection pod. And the bomb he drops right out of the gate on on what he just won at auction, yeah. uh, people will hear in just a few moments. So we are completing our James Cameron journey. We It was James Cameron and Michael Bean. We did Aliens. We did Terminator. We did Tombstone with Michael Bean. And now we are doing tonight Terminator 2 Judgment Day. And of course, we did Avatar on the Austin Danger Pod. Absolutely. Which people should hear. So a, a busy James Cameron month for... Your co-hosts. Yes. Mary Cameron. Mary, Mary Cameron. Miss. Whatever. It's been quite a journey yeah. and, and uh, I've enjoyed it. I'm just thrilled that I got out of this episode mostly unscathed. I yeah. thought I was going to get destroyed. Yeah. You did fine. You're great. Yeah. You're a pro. I, yeah. <laughs> number one, number one. Next week, it's Christmas Eve, uh, as we're dropping right now. Next week on our New Year's Eve episode... Now our watch has ended, and so we have joining us to fill the gap, Dune Pod, European Mm. 80s correspondent, Meredith Borders. Yes. And I was just, this is why I was, I was just listening to the draft of that this morning uh, on the drive back from school, and it's, it's amazing. I mean, Meredith is just an all-time guest, like really, really good. So I, I look, I'm looking forward to people hearing that one. And her episodes, like uh, we called it out on the episode, Tron, Lady Hawk, War Games, they're all Poltergeist. You need. They're all you need. Those are the only That's episodes insane. you need. If you're this is your first episode listening to Dude Bob, you should listen to this one, but then just go listen to the Meredith Porter. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Uh, and so we are doing the Val Kilmer 1980s nerddom classic, Real Genius. Yeah. Amazing. Mm-hmm. So coming soon next week, we will be with you for New Year's Eve. If your plans aren't quite as good as what you'd hoped, you will still have us. I have no plans You're for New Year's Eve. I think I'm going to bed early. Same. Yeah. Same. M- maybe a board game. I think that's about as, yeah. as good as it gets. Yeah. All right. Well, what do you think? Should we do some Dune news? Would you like to know more? Dune news. No Dune news because we just recorded a couple yeah, days yeah. ago. We don't have any Dune news. Nothing. Right now. It's quiet. Nothing happened. It's quiet it, for Dune the news. movie wrapped. Oh, shit. We already yeah, said we that. Yeah, we said that. It's great, though. Yeah. Uh, so no Dune news. Uh, you'll have Dune news in January uh, when we get back. I guess we'll be getting you know only six months out from a trailer. Yeah, maybe, or eight eight months out from a trailer by the time we get back. We should be we should be cru- <laughs> cruising in on a trailer. Trailer <laughs> reacts are coming. Twenty twenty three is going to be a busy year for us. Yeah, it's going to be crazy. Yeah. I would love to see some photos from uh, Sisterhood. Uh, yeah, and you know maybe some set photos would be be really. We're cool, gonna. So. It's for a while we haven't done Dune news, and now it's going to be real dune news like in 2023 mm. it's gonna be happening let's welcome a couple new discord friends we had nolan chloe might catch me and schwaffle schwaffle yeah welcome on board just great time uh joining just before the holidays although we won't be recording we'll all be in the discord um so like come hang out with yeah. us we'll probably do some screenings and uh, just a great place to spend, uh, you know, when you when you need a break from the family. And I love uh, that that's you know. like one of our core value pitches is like we're here for you <laughs> when your family drives you nuts. Isn't that good? It's great. It's great. Whatever people need. I get our wives in this Discord, then we'll really take yep. off. 
it'll all be happening. Crystal heard me when I was recording in Ben <laughs> and uh, I was talking about how I had to go out and take a dog sled to Best Buy to get a microphone uh, uh-huh. for a Three Days of the Condor episode. And that microphone uh-huh. turns, I was listening to that draft too. That microphone sucks. But <laughs> but she heard me telling the story about, um, she turned me, she heard me telling the story about that, how I tried, she thought that was very funny. She was like, you're, you're really funny. I was like, thank you. So there you go. They like there it. You go. They like it. Nice. Uh, we do actually, so I'm laying down the gauntlet. We talked about it, but we never executed it. We need the wives episode. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Q1, fiscal 23. All right. The wives come on Dune Pod. The wives episode. All right. It's, it's going to be great. All right. All right. We got to figure out what we're going to watch. Handmaid's Tale. Amazing. Handmaid's Tale. <laughs> perfect. All right. Well, what do you think? Should we get into this conversation with Ryan Condal? Let's do it. Hell Yeah. All right, so Ryan, I don't know if you can relate to this, but Jason and I, we've been recording upwards of five hours. Uh, like <laughs> it happened one time, and then you know we recorded seven episodes in two weeks. So like, wow. I like we're working real hard over yeah. here at Dune Pod Industries. And now we got to go into post production on these pods. They got to add the dragons in, and like, we got to see, got to get all the CGI work done. Six months of post. It's six months of post. <laughs> they gotta like June. even even though it's an audio format, they regenerate our faces to look more, you know, photogenic and handsome. Yeah. Dolby yeah. Atmos. Yeah, you know. exactly. You have to budget for that. It's really, it's really critical. It's really Studio notes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> a lot of notes. A lot of it's a notes. four quadrant podcast. Dude, how are you? It's amazing to see you. Thanks, guys. Uh it's always fun coming here. I know. I'm always in for some good uh, nerdy chat that is mostly mm. about a cool movie and not my TV show. Yeah. <laughs> well, we're going to do a little bit on the TV show because That's we've been fine. waiting. A, a scotch, just yeah. a scotch. Just a scotch. The last time you were here was in September, and I think it was just before The King of the Narrow Sea, episode four, aired. Oh, nice. Uh, and then we were lucky enough to have Greg on a couple weeks later, um, and that was actually incredible. We spent almost an hour just on Game of Thrones, yes. and of course he you know, he was hedged everything right. He didn't give any spoilers. He did yeah, say, yeah. "Be sure and rewatch episode two before going into the final," um, because he felt there was some nice connective tissue there. Yeah. But so, how does it feel to you now that the whole season is over? It's out there in the open, uh, you know. And, and how do you sort of recover and, and and adjust to your new reality? Um, yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's a whole lot to process. I mean, it's very cool that it's all done and uh, and we can talk about it. And I don't have to remember, you know, which episodes <laughs> have aired and what happened where and and yeah. all that. And um, yeah, I mean, look, it it. I've been doing this for a really long time professionally and to have something that connects with an audience is very rare and special. And the way that this connected and particularly in the environment that we're in, we're just, there's so much demand for eyeballs and, you know, everybody's all, all over the place to, to have a, a moment that feels on some level, I think shared culturally, at least for the, at least for the short time that it was on the air. Uh, again, is very rare and very special, and I've been around long enough to appreciate that. So I think I think trying to be present, be in be in that moment, was something that I really you know strove to do, despite being insanely busy. Because the complexity of this show requires it to be in, essentially you're in continuous, not production but motion. So as soon as as essentially as soon as post production on season one began, thus did writing for season two. So rarely are you doing one thing at one time. Usually it's two, sometimes it's three, sometimes it's four things, phases of the production at the same time. So it's really hard to keep your 
you know, head above the waterline. You're just, you feel like sometimes you're just barely doing it. And um, at that time when we were airing the show, it was very, it was very <laughs> much, you know, we're promoting the show. You're still in post. You're writing season right. two. Right. You know, it's a whole lot. But um, I'm thrilled. Uh, it's it's the show that I wanted to make. Um, George is very happy, which means a whole lot to me. He's my That's first great. audience on it. And um, he really loves it. And uh, we have a season two. And we're, you know, we're hard at work on that Um Right now, I have been for a long time, but uh, particularly so now is that's getting very real uh, mm. uh, as we as we live and breathe. And you you really did do a lot of pro- you personally did a lot of promotion for this show. I mean, you were you were just doing you were just at a con. I saw more footage of you like this week uh, on on TikTok at a con. I'm overexposed, um, guys. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's why you're doing Dune Pod. That's yeah. why you're that's why you're here. It's, it's the last the quadrant. Hideout. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's right. You're yeah. safe here. Um, yeah, there was a lot of promotion, um, which which it was definitely fun. And and um, the the most recent thing was the uh, official fan convention that was hosted yeah. out of L.A. They invited me out. They wanted me to go. It right. was just too impossible with uh, with work and family and all that. But uh, I virtualed in, so I, I I zoomed in and talked to the crowd and the and Greta and Jason, the wonderful yeah. hosts of the official Game of Thrones podcast. Yeah. So good. And uh, and yeah, it was it was it was it was nice. Uh, it's just again, doing this for a long time, uh, to have an official, uh, fan convention yeah. <laughs> available after season one. And I understand that's building on the success of the 10 years of the original yeah, show, but so, to be sure. invited into a universe like that, into a fan verse is, um, yeah, is an honor. Yeah. I mean, it challenged like the, the, the sort of conventional wisdom about how there could never be like another monoculture moment again, because it, it really did feel like a, uh, mothership had landed um, in nerd culture. I mean, like even one of the most like viral moments on TikTok this year is the Negroni Spagliato audio from <laughs> like your cat. I mean, like which like which is just like a wild God bless thing. Them. Yeah, I mean, like a wild thing to have happen. Congrats on all the success. It's really been it's really been great to watch. Look, yeah, it's it's great, and thank you. Um, it's much it's much appreciated. It's very humbling, and uh, and makes. Um, <laughs> makes me now very nervous about having to do it again because now I think yeah. it feels like there are more eyeballs on it and um, I have to do a, a more uh, complex dive off the diving board. I like I like a sort of how personally, like I saw some of the footage from the fan convention and like it's like a lot of people asking questions that are less about um, like what plot questions, like what's going to happen or what does it mean and more like, I don't know how to feel about this character. Like, yes. why did you make me feel this way? Questions, which I think, which I think is funny. Like one of the ones that saw was like, you know, why did Damon have to ch- choke her? Like I was like on the side, I was like, yeah, cause he's, he's a bad guy. Like he's not, he's not, a, he's, <laughs> yeah. he's not a good guy. Like <laughs> it was okay when he was murdering his wife that you didn't know. <laughs> exactly. You know? But you did pull off kind of a magic trick uh, yeah. where, where yeah. for a bit of time. And we were just talking about this with three days of the condor. They did the same thing with Max Vasino's character. You do terrible things, and then for a while you establish this kind of loving, and you kind of forget that. Yeah, um, and then it's like, oh no, wait, <laughs> this is still that is still very dangerous. The audience finds himself in an abusive relationship with. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's like I I don't like that he's choking her, but I I want him to choke me. Yeah, yeah. You just have to watch out right. for Damon when he puts on the murder cloak. That like yeah. that's yeah. that's a bad that's a bad that's a bad sign. Yeah, in that case, out. he really. 
you know, Rhaenyra wasn't ready for him because he didn't have his didn't murder, have the cloak on. murder cloak yeah. on, right? <laughs> yeah. you know? uh, it is. So so I had, uh, I, I think I read House of the Dragon when it first came out, listened to the audiobook, and I kind of just like took it very quickly and knew that the Dance of the Dragons was the, was the most awesome thing, but had kind of not revisited and specifically haven't done any wiki reading or, or anything going back to it. So I've been enjoying the surprises. And I... It, it's this great trick of you assume it's going to be Rhaenyra and Damon as the big thing through the beginning of the season. Right. And then, no, it's not about them as the kids. It's about the grandkids. Yeah. Um, and that is an amazing trick. But you also have moments like in the Green Council when Viserys comes out and takes that long walk oh, and Damon takes his arm and helps him up the stairs. Like it has so much weight and so much gravitas of the entire season built to that moment. Like I was, I was cheering, uh, you know, on my couch. I couldn't believe it. That was ridiculous. Oh, great. You must, did you know, did, did you know that the long, did you know that that walk was like going to be like, was going to play as big as it did when it came out? Did you know you, you had it in when you saw the episode? We definitely wrote it in and knew that he was infirmed, you know, so I I guess you see that. I mean, for us, it was more, it was more like the fact that Viserys was showing up to court that day, we knew it was going to be a big moment because mm-hmm. we had set him up. He was so he was so infirmed and so out of it with the milk of the poppy and everything. Yeah, I think it was it was it wasn't until I was on set that day and you know, Gita Patel, who was um, the director, was was setting up that scene and I <laughs> watched poor Patty. Oh God, he really committed himself to that. Mm-hmm. Um, he did that walk a lot of times in that sort of gate, you know that mm. that he had. Um, and uh, broke his cane at some point because he was acting so hard. And, oh, God. Um, and um, it was a real shame for the prop fan in the audience. Like, that's when I cried. <laughs> I when, the, when the prop went. But, yeah. um, but no, I mean, we definitely knew on set like that was it was going to it was going to be a moment. And then you had the, the great sort of accident slash became an improv moment when the crown fell off because yeah. he had, you know, it, he was leaning forward so much of the crown. And then, you know, Matt went and picked, pick, picked it up and put it back on his head. And then we're like, Oh God, we got to keep that. So that, wow. that it got worked into, worked into the takes. And you know, it was, it was always about, it was essentially the, the way it was. I remember we broke it in the room that like his King's guard was going to try to take his arm. He <laughs> swats him away like a, yeah. you know, a, a, a proud old man that just wants to, you know, be able to climb the stairs himself. And then, um, he's still struggling, and then Damon, you know, basically off camera, Damon kind of swoops. You don't know who it is. He swoops in, and you realize yeah. it's him, and yeah. he helps his brother up under the throne to save his wife's slash yeah. niece's, uh, you know, claim and inheritance. And yeah, it's very emotional. And um, look, I'm thr- I'm thrilled. I think everybody, you know, sort of saw that as a quieter episode because so much happens around. You know, the eye for an eye scene in the episode before, and then the crazy mm-hmm. two episodes that happen after that. Yeah. But that was, I mean, that is my favorite episode of the season. I really think yeah. that, you know, Gita wrote the f- hell out of that and, and God, Patty's performance, everybody's performance in that episode. It was, mm-hmm. it was the first time that you see the whole kind of adult family together and you see all yeah. the wonderful colors that you're going to get out of the future of the show because that now is the cast. We're not recasting anybody. Those kids are the kids that, you know, get involved in the dance. And um, um, it's th- it's thrilling to see. I mean, there you, you see glimpses of it, but there's so many... Uh, uh, Ferraris in that garage. I can't wait yeah, to uh, let them all <laughs> out. Yeah. That's great. That is amazing. Holy shit. Well, we are beyond excited uh, and uh, really thankful to get that glimpse uh, into all the hard work. It was worth it, dude. That was yeah. Damn oh, thanks. Awesome. And thanks for watching, guys. It really means a lot. We're the one we push. We Our two viewerships, our HBO Max 
subscriptions what pushed it over the top. I, <laughs> got I us that season two you, order. Got yeah. you those eyeballs that you needed. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just barely made it. Yeah, <laughs> thank just you. Barely made it. All right. Anything else we need to cover before we uh, before we? How's get the into prop? It? How's prop world? How's how'd yeah, the auction go for you? Please. No, I'm excited, guys. I'm excited. I um. Well, look, I'm I'm in a new house i don't know if you've you've noticed yeah it's a slightly tell different the background's different we yeah. moved um so i have a bigger office um i have one more display case coming so that'll <laughs> yes. be here next week which will wow. be directly behind me okay so the you know collection voltron is uh is sort of coming together um mm. but uh <laughs> but uh very exciting uh, uh very uh kind of on theme with this week's episode uh in the uh november auction the prop store auction i won Arnold jacket from Oh my yes. god. Yes. And uh it's bullet ridden and it's like there are a bunch of them out there. This is the best one I've ever seen. It's why why I went after it. Cuz a lot of them are, are clean uh, cuz they stage them essentially based on right. how how messed up he is in the in the film and this one is kind of right in the middle. It's perfect. It's before it gets fully shredded but it's not a new jacket and it's very clearly like a terminator 2 jacket it's got mm. all the bullet holes in the back when he protects john from the t-1000 in the uh in the hallway at the galleria right. yeah and yeah. um and it's marked in the in the, the pocket uh yeah exactly um <laughs> Uh, it's marked in the uh, in the pocket. Um, I think Dyson elevator. So I think it's the uh, it's the um, it's the or elevator D or something like that. But it was it's clearly it's it's the it's not the asylum because it's too messed up. But early, it's yeah, the yeah. other elevator that went you know when they're at the Dyson facility. And yeah. amazingly, uh, it comes with a letter from Linda Hamilton because oh, it was hi. sold in a charity auction in 1991. And she's and she writes that, you know, this it's amazing and whatever. It's like it's dated August 5th, like 1991, like the year the wow. film came out, the summer the film came out. So Holy it has cow. it has a it has, you know, great provenance. It's tied right to the time of release. And uh, it's glorious. And you previously, man. you had the Terminator 1 jacket as well, Correct. Right? Yeah, so, so now I, like I side collected by side. the whole set. Yeah, I mean, the Jesus. idea is that in the future, when when true collection Voltron comes together and I have, yeah. I have my uh, American uh, house somewhere with, uh, uh-huh, with a uh-huh. full display room, is, you know, th- there's your Terminator display as, you know, jacket one, jacket two, but oh my uh, God. very exciting. So I was, I'm, I'm, I'm amped up and uh, ready to, uh, ready to talk all about T2. Let's do it. All right, let's get ready. Here we go. Terminator 2 Judgment Day is the struggle to defy a future that has already been written. It's been 11 years since Sarah Connor's life was shattered when she was rescued from a murderous time-traveling cyborg by the heroic future soldier, Kyle Reese destroyed that Terminator, and found herself pregnant and on the run. Unable to cope with her knowledge of the impending nuclear war triggered by the machines, Sarah is relegated to a mental institution and her son, John Connor, raised by foster parents. Yet when two more future combatants appear, a deadly experimental mimetic polyalloy T-1000 sent to kill John and a reprogrammed T-800 sent to protect him, they will once again go on the run. But now, armed with years of experience, training, and determination, Sarah, John, and the Terminator will learn that only by understanding and finding common ground in each other can they make their own fate and set humanity on a new course, free from Judgment Day. 
Gotta do the music. Yeah, yeah. The emo will be in there. The music will be in there for sure. Oh my god. T2, Judgment Day. It's a great movie. It's it's funny. It's you know, we we watched for another pod, we did Avatar and we just recorded it last night. And so I watched Avatar and T2 basically on on subsequent nights. And I'm very hyped for the Avatar 2 coming out. And the thing I realized about like watching that much Cameron is just he's really good. He's just a, he's just an amazingly good filmmaker. He's kind of like the Steven Spielberg of like science fiction, ad, uh, like action adventure, you know, where you're just like, oh, like regardless of what the movie's about, it's just incredibly competently made. Like it's just going it's just going to be made to this level of finish that's you're you know, you don't get that most people don't can't reach. Uh, because they just don't have the they just don't have the tool chest. Uh, mm-hmm. So th- that it's details it's, and technical ability. Yeah. Yeah. Details and technical ability like the ability, like, you know, obviously all the stunts, all the big set pieces. But also, as we talked about with Terminator one, like the ability to hone a script down to just like the just get all the fat off of it and just tell the story as 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 economically as possible. It's it's really something. It's really something to see. I think I think it's I'm just speaking for myself. I pro I've always liked his movies, but I probably overlooked him as accomplished a filmmaker as he is just because the movies are action adventure movies as opposed to like Kubrick or something, you know, but he really is just one of those guys. Hmm. He's a wizard. Yeah. yeah. Um. It, it, I think he does get a bit not maligned, but sort of discounted because he's never made a quote unquote serious film, you know? Mm-hmm. Right. Um, right. And, and I think, yeah, I think, I think he's a, a, a technical wizard um, who's on top of all the technology. He's actually a great writer, which usually the writer director is a director who's trying to write so you can control the script or a writer who's trying to direct so he can control the movie. <laughs> right, right. I think very rarely do you see somebody that's actually great at both things. It's just a, a, the, the true auteur, which he really is. And it, it's, it's a, it's such a, it's such a, uh, it's such an odd and, uh, you know, it's sort of blue moon rare combination. You know, my, my line producer, uh, now on, on, um, season two of the show, uh, worked with Cameron. He was a production manager on Titanic, and, wow. um, and he's got he's got the best. He's he's this like he's you know big. You know, he's a former AD, former locations manager, can crush crush uh, walnuts in his palm. Just this big <laughs> right. guy. But, like, he is also he can like he can do math in his head, and and he's he's an he's amazing, really interesting guy. But he has all these great stories because he's worked for these amazing films, you know, Spielberg and Nolan and yeah. Mel Gibson and Cameron Jeez. and wow. a, a Ridley. He's where, you know, he's, he's, he's met all of them and sometimes, you know, multiple stops, but he told me the story on, on Titanic where they were talking about the ship rig and how the, you know, the ship broke in half uh-huh. and Cameron was like setting up, this is how I'm going to shoot it. And then he went over and started talking to the structural ex- engineers about the, um, about the content of the steel and the kind of steel they needed because he's such a genius that he yeah. actually he can he's a polymath you know he can dive yeah. into he can do things that normal filmmakers shouldn't be able to do and even our, my Kevin my producer was like that that's not normal like I've worked with great filmmakers that at that right. point say okay steel guys you do your steel thing yeah, you know and right. <laughs> and he just he he you know the, he has he's a submarine explorer adventurer yeah. you know it, it's it's really artist. Art, yeah, it's, infuri- yeah. it's infuriating. It's infuriating. 
And, uh, you know, as I always say, he was like, he was 28 when he did the original Terminator. Yeah. I mean, it just, right. it's, yeah. It doesn't seem sick. fair. And he's Canadian. Yeah. That's weird too. I found that out yesterday. That seems strange. Yeah. The, a Canadian metallurgist should not be one of our greatest action, you know, <laughs> filmmakers. No. It's very strange. No. Yeah. That is amazing. Well, I think both of you all said that you saw Terminator 2 before you saw Terminator 1, right? This was yeah, your first I said that exposure. last time. Yep. Mm-hmm. And you guys didn't see it in theaters, right? This was 91? I saw it in theaters for sure. I did. Oh, yeah, you yeah. did? Okay. It was my, right. my first R-rated movie in the theater. It was like a big... It was a big, big uh, Rubicon for me. Yeah. <laughs> okay, very good. Yeah, I, I was like the perfect age because I was like 15... Uh, I was like, like the perfect age for Terminator two. And yeah, we all went to go see it. It was the same thing. It was like, it's going to be rated R we're going. I had, I didn't even know why this movie was important, but knew that it was going to be important in my life. And like Mm. watching it like at home, some of the set pieces, I can, I can remember exactly laughs and moments from seeing it in the theater, which is very rare for me. My memory is not that good, but I remember like the little moments of like when he, when the T-1000 looks at the silver mannequin, like the laugh, like the laugh in the theater at that point. Like, you know, there's, there's all these moments that were, uh, core memories were were core memories. Exactly. Yeah. Put in the rack. Yeah. Burned onto your psyche. I mean, it was, it was the loudest, most insane movie experience I had ever had, you know, at that, at that point. It was so, OTT and violent and it just it imprinted. I mean, I have I have very I have a crisp like sense memory of sitting in the theater. I was I was weeks before my twelfth birthday seeing that you know seeing that movie. Ah. So it was uh, it was a it was a rite of passage. I came, I came out. I grew a mustache in the two hours <laughs> exactly. watching that film. Well, and I think I think too like as a result like I think there was like some pushback against Eddie Furlong and like that character as being like sort of like a annoying kid in the movie. But because I was an annoying kid, like it was this perfect kind of mimetic experience of like no 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 he's great like that's who I want to be in the movie yeah. like I want to be like hacking like ATM machines easy then, money like, on on a bike and stuff. <laughs> Like that, so I thought it, it was never cool. even. It ne- yeah, exactly. It's like how little kids, like kids who are younger, like don't think, or not kids, but like uh, you know, younger millennials who saw the the prequels as the first Star Wars movies don't read Jar Jar Binks as lame because they're just like, oh yeah, Jar Jar was funny. Like you know, it was like I, I like that Jar Jar was my friend when I was a kid. Like you, you stepped some poo. That- yeah, exactly. It's great. <laughs> yeah. Amazing. Well, let's do some behind the scenes here. So Cameron uh, said that Schwarzenegger had always been more enthusiastic about doing a sequel. And Cameron initially basically thought that he had said everything he wanted to say with the original film, which, as we discussed at length, in my mind, is like the most perfect time travel and the most perfect story ever. Like, it's just a beautiful, self-contained thing. but when it was time to get it going, there was a huge rights issue because Hemdale, who was the original producer, they owned 50% and Jim owned the other 50%. And the, the co-founder, John Daly, like they almost came to physical blows when he tried to alter the ending of Terminator. And in the end, Cameron also sold 50% of, their, of his half to Gail Ann Hearn for $1 during their divorce. Mm. So Carol Co. had to spend $17 million before anything was done just to get oh. the rights back. Mm. Goodbye. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> uh, like, don't divorce, bet against Cameron. Divorce has has often led to some interesting, like IP 
like to some interesting IP transfers of ownership in mm. in the history of Hollywood. So that, yeah. that's not that's not the first. We, we might have talked about this. This is a uh, a bit of a digression, but it's it's on point. Uh, yeah. We might have talked about this on a previous one, but there there was a bunch of like point swapping that went on between the uh, UFC, oh, yeah. USC mafia back yeah. in the day, and like John Milius's first wife ended up with like his point that. Lucas gave him in Star Wars out of that of like, so, oh hey John, take a point in Star Wars. Point, I'll take Star a point Wars. in uh, you know, I'll take a point from Conan or Big Wednesday or whatever. And uh, and I'll tell you who won that who won, who won that one. So Milius' first wife. So like when they when Disney opened the books when they bought it when they bought Star Wars in in, in 2012, like you know, 10 years ago, they went down the list and they're like, Who is this person? And they like knocked on the door and like, we'd like to buy your point back. And she was yeah. like, No, we're we're not we're not doing that. Yeah. And um, so there's 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 some yeah, there's some good. Uh, he lost that in the divorce, which oh my god, give up anything but the point in Star Wars. You know? Give up the boy anything, but but that's give like also house. that's also why Pixar ended up being owned by. I think that's why Pixar ended up in being owned by Jobs is that it was also from like it was part of the Lucas the first Lucas divorce as well mm. was like was like a, was one of the the bust ups of those assets. Yeah, man, California, married in California, your your <laughs> your movie IP is going to end up in different places for sure. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's hilarious. So I I do want to give a shout out. I think we talked about her briefly um, last time, but Gail Ann Hurd, right? Terminator, Aliens, The Abyss, Tremors, Armageddon, Hulk T3, Walking Dead, obviously um, huge, just incredible run of, yeah. of stuff that she has, that she's been involved with. Just an amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She was on, a, I think, Mark Maron, WTF. Great, great interview with her. Uh, so Cameron had six to seven weeks to write the sequel <laughs> and repartnered with Will Wisher, his buddy. Um, Fucking infuriating. Is that short? Is that, super, is that is that a short time to, to break a whole I movie? mean, you could hammer out a first draft, like, you yeah. know, if you're cooking, but- <laughs> it makes me really mad, guys. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. It's fair. You like this is yeah. your this is your career, uh, yeah. and watching someone dance around it is is, yeah. is wild. Uh, and so Cameron really wanted to defy expectations, and Schwarzenegger was just like, "Just make me look cool." And Cameron did want Linda Hamilton back, and she specifically really wanted to make sure that she was crazy. It was her idea to say that Sarah couldn't handle you know, the knowledge that she had. Um, and so she really wanted to be pushed in a corner. Just in terms of casting, the original choice that Jim had, for, so just to prove that not everything is perfect, his original choice for the T-1000 was Billy Idol. Whoa. Okay. Yeah, who broke his leg in a motorcycle accident. This is probably like still like in in response to Sting's, you know, Dune performance, but- <laughs> Yes, uh, obviously it resonated for seven years after Sting was in Dune. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the the tremendous success that Sting being in Dune <laughs> brought to the history of science fiction it's a filmmaking. Nice day for a white wedding. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Robert Patrick, obviously an unknown, one, was incredible. Eddie Furlong had no previous acting experience, uh, but he just saw him and, and really liked him. Ninety four million dollar budget, five hundred and twenty million worldwide. Yeah. 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 At which Good at work. which point Cameron was given a five year five hundred million dollar contract by Twentieth Century Fox to produce twelve films. Yeah, and then he took a very long break somewhere. <laughs> somewhere <in> the, <laughs> I was gonna say, like, how many did he do? Did okay. he actually? Yeah, True Lies and Titanic. Yeah, and then he, yeah. Ghost of the Abyss is somewhere in there. Yeah. I don't know if that if that counts. And then Avatar. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. We were reviewing for this. We still Avatar got some pop. to go. The, yeah. This, <laughs> 
that like he started he announced Avatar 2 less than two months after Avatar 1 hit the box office. Like he was like he and he was like within a year or something like that was like, I'm only in the Avatar business from now on. Like I'm just like fully doing that. And then it went on. That was like in 2012. And then unclear, <laughs> unclear things happened in the life of Jim Cameron. But it's fine. Movie's coming out now. It's gonna be I great. sat next to Josh Friedman on a plane to Vancouver because when you fly to Vancouver from LA, you just run into other people making right. television that have been sent to Vancouver. <laughs> right. Because right. the rebate and it's cheaper. You're like, and, been there. Uh, and it, this was like, I had one kid at the time. I now have, I now have two children. He, it was, must have been like 2017. And I remember telling him some way during the conversation because I was a huge fan. I was like, I'm really looking forward to the next avatar movie and yeah. he goes me too <laughs> and here it is i mean yeah. but it's 2022 almost 2023 it's kind wild of, it's kind of amazing yeah they worked on that for a long long time a real long time it's gonna be amazing anyone who's betting against avatar 2 being a phenomenal world beating success is foolish everyone's gonna go see it it's going to change people's lives in the theater uh we're privileged to live in this time that's the, the, those are those are those are my statements about Avatar too. I can't wait. I can't wait to see it tomorrow. Um, I, I am excited. All right. Um, we are going to be covering the theatrical edition of this, but as we roll through, uh, we'll give some shout outs to what was in the special edition that was released. But I think similar to Aliens, do you, you agree that ultimately the theatrical is a is a better cut? The correct choice, yes. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Which is always tough, right? Like you had scenes, you just showed the cut, the cut scene from House of the Dragon was yeah, awesome. It was a really good scene. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, it would be great if it was in there. It's really, it's a pacing thing, you know, and a lot of these things like, yeah, they're great scenes, but it, it's, it's pacing, it's storytelling. It's what, what do you, not what are you getting from that scene, but ultimately what are you getting in the, in the larger picture? And look, you know, you make choices all, all day long. It just, that, that episode in particular felt very much about it was Damon and Rhaenyra and their stories in parallel and how they stacked and stacked and stacked and then became together. And that was one scene that happened right in the beginning when we were building that rhythm going bounce, ping ponging back and forth between the two of them. And it just felt like it was, we kept seeing it and it just felt like it kept interrupting that rhythm that we were building. And it, mm. it was, it was tough. And I love the scene. That's why I really, you know, they asked me for a deleted scene. That was the one that I picked because I really love the scene. Mm -hmm. um, I, I love, uh, Bethany and um, Eve Best, uh, Bethany Antonia and Eve Best performance in the scene, um, and I, you know, I can like I said at the thing, I consider it canon. It, it happened. Mm -hmm. We just didn't right. see it. You know, right? Yeah, so. Do you? Is it? Does it tend to come from the editor or from you or from the director to to kind of see that and say, all right, we gotta we gotta make this painful choice? A combination. I mean, you're all working. You're all kind of working together. I think in that case, it was. Um, it came to me and it was it was cut and sort of explained that you should see this without it. And it it just, you know, sometimes things just work. And and that was a case where it 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 did. And it was in service of the larger goal of telling Damon and Rhaenyra's story in that particular. Episode. We're kind of hot and bothered about deleted scenes because there's a deleted scene from Dune part one, uh, which is the banquet scene that's in the book. Uh, and yeah. is her is famously like Herbert's like favorite favorite scene in the in the story. It's our favorite. Scene. We love it. It's great. We, in the and book. like Herbert, I have on vinyl. Herbert did like an audio like reading of the banquet scene. And I don't know why it's I don't know why they pressed it to vinyl, but 
I, I own it. I, would, I, pop, <laughs> I, pop, I pop it on every once in a while, just at least in the Frank Herbert, do the banquet scene. And Villeneuve, and we realized in the, in the promotional materials that came out for Dune Part 1 that there was... Uh, that he had shot the banquet scene because there was there was there was footage like stills of people dressed up for the scene and it got leaked. It was told that like, oh, yeah, they actually shot it, but it's not being included. And of course, Villeneuve famously never does director no, cuts, yeah. never releases deleted scenes. So it's just like never going to be seen. It's been no, like, no. Well, you know, OK, I want to make sure this is clear. It was not shot. They they had they, the out. They had the outfits uh, that were there. But Eric Roth, um, when he was interviewed, he said that they they ended up just cutting right. it. They never That's wrote true. it. Um, he said he said, look, having a scene about people sitting around talking is generally going to be boring, and so yeah. we just didn't have time for it. Guys, I've got seventy five pages of small council <laughs> scenes from season one. <laughs> I would beg to disagree. <laughs> yeah, counterfactual. That's the difference between television and film, guys. Yeah, that's that's our bread and butter. That's how we that's how we stay on the air. They don't the, have the, the ball to they, put. I was into just going to say we didn't oh, have the right. giant marble, the placeholder marble. Yeah, but it's okay because at the first, at the second Dune Pod meetup when we screen Dune Part Two in IMAX uh, in November of 2023, we're going to do an uh, an enactment oh, of the bank, a live read of the banquet scene with casting people <laughs> in in various parts. So it's going to be great. Everyone's going to enjoy that. I do love that scene from the book. I mean, that was a, it, to, it to me. It was it's the easy. It's a really quick way to set the political landscape and, and totally. get a sense of the, the yeah. world you're in and all the you know, the the bitterness and the kind of secret hatred and the relationships and Paul and Jessica and how they're connected. And yeah, it's really. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. I would have included it. <laughs> mm. Nice, nice. Yeah. Yes. All right. Well, why don't we get into this uh into this movie? So it starts out with this great opening of this playground scene. Playground very big through this uh entire film. Um, but then we cut to 2029 mm -hmm. and we have Sarah's voiceover. Three billion human lives ended on August 29th, 1997. The survivors of the nuclear fire called the war judgment day. They lived only to face a new nightmare, the war against the machines. And then we have, you know, all the battles and stuff unfolding. I thought this looked really consistent with T1. Like it didn't look vastly different. Um, mm -hmm. And so I was kind of impressed that Terminator held up so well for this than seven years later. Yeah, I mean, it was a. They obviously had many more resources and much more money, but they did a really good job of honoring what had come before. Instead of creating, oh, you know, now with now that we have money, let's make it really fancy schmancy. They really mm. they, they they put into the foreground the cool stuff that they couldn't do in the first one, the hunter killers and the and the you know the the awesome puppet endoskeleton robot, mm -hmm. you know, kind of marching through, crushing the skull, which is the famous you know the famous shot they establish it. But yeah, really honored it. And if you watch it, it feels like a cohesive world when you watch the two of them. And in general, like I think it also establishes like a reaction that you have as a 2022 viewer that is was true for me throughout the movie, which is that the effects look yeah. perfect. Like there's like there's very few things that you're just like, oh, like this is obviously a movie that's, you know, that's uh, as old as it is. That's 30 years old. Um, like it, it looks like just perfect. Um, it's not like one of those things even where you really have to excuse it. Like for me, like some of the effects in like Lord of the Rings have aged worse. Some of the CG and the, particularly like the crowd stuff have, has aged worse than the stuff in T2 because it's so 
it's so constrained like what they're trying to do in in the service of the story here as opposed to being these like big uh, you know larger establishing shots where you can notice the seams more uh it just looks amazing yeah but i just it's it's so much of it is in camera and practical and i i yeah. think people are sort of fooled into thinking that there's much more um computer generated mm -hmm. imagery literally in t2 than there actually is i just listened to yeah. a podcast with dennis murin on and he was saying that you know pe people think that t2 is much more cg than it actually is but the the trick with that film the magic trick of that film is blending all these different techniques the old techniques the the brand new the cutting edge techniques that they were inventing for that film same with jurassic park and that's why those things stand up mm. and then early cg all all cg features like lord of the rings or mostly cg kind of start to crumble over the years but you know t2 i think will always stand up because so much of that stuff is in camera yeah mm. And you had Stan Winston, obviously back, uh, Fantasy Two, who did the the main effects work in the in Terminator One as well. So it's it's great to get the band together. Did you watch um, Light and Magic, the documentary yeah, on Disney Plus? So it was incredible. Um, it was really it was really powerful and tender and sad. Like these whole moments of these artists when the technology moved on and they basically couldn't do their work anymore. They were like the best in the world, and they had to either adapt into something new or go get a new job. Yeah. Um, Rob Bottin famously is a real estate guy in Los Angeles now mm. um, because you don't need gooey exploding effects anymore. I bet that's worked out for him, though, in fairness. Like, <laughs> if, like if he started buying real estate in the mid 90s in Los Angeles, I, I bet that was fine. <laughs> Seems good. Seems good. Uh, we should do a documentary so about him. Yeah, it's a great idea. Um, so we do have uh, the additional Linda voiceover. As before, the resistance was able to send a lone warrior a protector for John. It was just a question of which one of them would reach him first. And then we had the credits. And again, just the burning playground to me is very metal. Uh, you know, it's like mm -hmm. really aggressive <laughs> playground fire happening. Um, Evocative. Again, like watching this movie in the same week I watched Avatar, it's in there's a lot of visual similarities, like the helicopters, like the ornithopter, you know, future crafts that like as a similar style and some of the the guns uh, have a similar vibe, both in look and sound. But the overall palette of Terminator is so much more metal, like it's so much it's so much more like Guns N' Roses than Avatar, which is like, I don't know, I don't know exactly what, but like, you know, acid rock or something like that. Like it's a whole, it's a very different, it's a very different vibe. Um, and yeah, the the playground is a good little in, in, encapsulation of that. Mm. So we have the Terminator, uh, you know, popping in. We have Arnold uh, as the T-800. So first of all, he looks incredible. I think this is the best Arnold looks on film at any time. I think this is peak Arnold physicality in film that feels right i'm going with conan the barbarian yeah i mean but, conan, no, but it, Con he looks too cartoony he's huge he, he, he's, he's huge he's, he's, yeah he's too he doesn't big look like, he doesn't look like a real person in conan <laughs> he looks like all he looks like a, he got like you know inflated this is like he looks obviously big and imposing but like physically it's not too much i think like uh, over i picked this over conan chat is wildly against me <laughs> i'm picking this over conan and commando i think this is a leaner more like aesthetically perfect arnold he looks great he yeah. looks great um from a storytelling perspective we talked about this last time they held back terminator vision like it's right on like from the yeah. from the initial moment you see exactly what's going on I love this whole scene of him wasting um, all these bikers, uh, you know, tossing guys through windows and, you know, breaking the guy's arms and stuff. Um, 
But as uh, you know, the last guy is throwing him his keys. Take it, and we have the needle drop. Bad to the bone. <laughs> okay, so I'm gonna get in trouble now. I struggled with this on this viewing. The bad to the bone. The bad to the bone. The bad to the bone to be like when I heard bad to the bone, I was like, that is all maybe a touch on the nose in this in, in this scene. And I was like, how much had bad to the bone been used up? To that point, like I like, oh, is that like, is is like everyone would have heard it a billion times? Like, yes, I, yes, but yeah. I might have had the album. Like, I, it's. I'm not saying that I wasn't a fan of George Thorogood at the time, but on this viewing, not as a 21 year old, as a 52 year old, I was just like, that's a little, it's a little thick. It, it was for sure a cliche already in '91, but I think, it, yeah, I think it kind of worked because you could imagine that being not cliche at that bar that he was at. So it's like, it feels right. like, you know, it feels like source sound maybe at that bar. I don't know. What, mm. what is the better song to play in that, in that bar? What's, what's the pitch? Skinnered, you know, mm. I, I don't Hell know. For so, leather. so, so again, for me, the Pour part, some the, sugar on me, the, the, <laughs> the part I'm going to call out here Billy is Idol. the difference between Terminator one and Terminator two that I still struggle with. Although on second viewing this week, I watched it twice this week, came up a whole star rating, um, as I, as I locked in a little bit more, but it's the irony. It's the ironic use, whether it's hasta la vista baby, or it's bad to the bone or some of the jokes and stuff. And it was the fact that they were the center of popular culture. Like they were, they created the thing that changed the entire industry. So they were kind of winking at that. And I, I struggled with that uh, on T2 versus Terminator. Yeah, I mean, T2 definitely winks at itself much more than Ter Terminator took itself. It had to take itself very seriously. Otherwise, it would have lapsed into parody. And it, it is the reason that I I mean, I, I do prefer T1, although rewatching T2, I just remembered how fucking good it is. And yes. Yeah, it's just great. Yeah. Okay. I'll excuse bad to the bone. What other song to use, Ryan? Uh, chat offered up Enter Sandman, which actually came oh. out the same month. Oh, there you go. As um, which would have been a which would have been a wild choice. I would like to see. I'd like to have someone do an edit and like see what that. I would like same that. album. I would pitch uh, Sad but True. Mm, yeah, nice. Yeah. Nice. Well, so so he is bad to the bone, and he comes down, and he gets on his motorcycle. But you know what time it is? <laughs> Shotgun <Gun> talk. talk. <laughs> <laughs> God. Ryan, talk to us about the bartender's <laughs> custom 1887 Winchester shotgun. Yeah, it's, it's awesome. A uh, I've seen a bunch <laughs> of these. Um, there are a bunch that uh, there were. There were like three or four out there that are that are proper screen use and screen matched because, you know, they had to customize them for the, the swing and they all kind of work differently based on, you know, what he was doing in the scene. Did it actually need to fire? Did it just need to rotate and and do mm. that? And they were kind of kind of mixed and matched and like put back together sort of after the film. So sometimes like the stock matches on one thing and the barrel and another because they, mm. oh, wow. they I think they might have actually been taking them apart during filming and, you know, fussing them back together to clean them and get them working and all that. But yeah, it's just, it's iconic, the Rosebach shotgun, you know, and, and I think all of them, all the hero firing ones that were in the film are now out there in private hands. Cause it's, um, you know, the, the unique thing about movie guns is they usually sit with the armory house. They're owned by the armor. They're not owned by the studio. So they don't go back in some studio archive. Oh, wow. Because they have to be, 
you know, oh, regulated and rented yeah. to the production and they're, you know, control and studios don't tend to own real guns. They go to a, a gun house, a gun room like BAPTI here in London or like Stembridge in LA. Mm. And, um, yeah, so those, the, all the guns from that production are actually out there. You know, the, the, the Colt 45 from the, from the, that he steals from the, the biker and the bar scene. And then, uh, Linda Hamilton's, um, Deltonics, uh, uh, pistol that she gets. Mm. Um, I've, I've seen, I've, I've been in, I've been in the room with many of those, <laughs> those guns. <laughs> they were, they were all around and they're all just, just glorious. They're just awesome. Oh my just God. phenomenal, phenomenal work there. So yeah, putting sunglasses on cruising on the motorcycle, like he looks phenomenal. Um, but we cut now to the T-1000. I love the effect of when the teleportation element is gone and like the fence is cut out and the ground is cut out. Uh, just really yeah. smart. But they really don't do any of the pretense that he might uh, he might not be a bad guy. Like it's very quickly established that, that he is not good. Yeah, it felt like at the beginning, it felt like this movie was conceived with the idea of playing the playing the sort of sleight of hand of oh the bad mm. guy Terminator's back he's clearly the because we know there are two Terminators so there's he's going to be the bad one and, and the new one but I think they realize that it's modern movie making by the time all the marketing materials are out it's right, going to be clear right. we're going to know that they're going to have sold Asa La Vista baby that it's going to be all of them so I think they kind of bailed on that they realized they didn't there was no ne- reason to do that because the audience would have been ahead of them is my feeling just knowing mm, how that's smart. That's that's I love right. the I love I would love to know what the meeting was like where it's like okay we're gonna push Hasta La Vista baby <laughs> like that's like a big that's a big objective that's one of our Q three objectives like put that on the whiteboard yeah H A dollar sign T A yeah so we are now introduced to John's foster parents played by Xander Berkeley from Heat mm-hmm, from uh, Heat as well and as Gattaca. And Gattaca, that's right, the, the doctor in Gattaca. And Jeanette Goldstein, Vasquez. Vasquez, yeah. Vasquez. I remember seeing her in the theater and just being like, holy shit, that's Vasquez. Oh, my God. <laughs> Tough hair. Tough hair job they gave her in this one, man. That is a real rat's nest that they dropped on top of her. Mm. In the, in the, at the end of the movie, you know, spoilers, uh, when T-1000 is getting melted down and he briefly turns back into Vasquez, one of the things that stood out to me is like, oh, damn, that hair came back into the, into the, <laughs> into the fire pit. Like that hair came back in the molten fire pit and the and the 10,000 degree heat hasn't helped, hasn't tamed that hairdo down one bit. That's how advanced his programming was. He was able to yeah, recreate right. it. Yeah, it's hard to render all of those little yeah. strands. It's like the breakthrough they did in computing when Pixar had to figure out how to like you know render the render all the hair and, and Mike Sully. Yeah, yeah, exactly, and Mike mm-hmm. Sully. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so now we have our first introduction to Sarah, and she is just shredded, like un- unbelievable. The body and this whole thing of using Doctor Silberman, who was like one of the most hateable mm-hmm. characters in history. Yeah. Um, and him giving out all of the exposition, like super classic Cameron, amazingly effective inline story driven. And then him walking up and saying, good morning, Sarah. Good morning, Dr. Silverman. How's the knee? She's just, she just looks so lethal. And like, I don't think, and like really, you know, it's, it's in the time that this was made, there weren't many women in film that had 
look like this or they they push the physicality of them like this before and it, it just she still reads as just fucking lethal in general her performance in this movie is phenomenal incredible like it's yeah. so, it's so nuanced and like mm. you know she has to be so strong and yet vulnerable and scared and she has to be a mom and like all this stuff that she's doing in this movie is very uh complicated um and and she's fucking ripped like she looks ridiculous i don't know yeah someone points out in chat like i don't they didn't have crossfit or like the marvel diet you know trainers in the in the early 90s body by jake maybe i don't know tybo like we don't know what we don't know what she was doing exactly but whatever it was it it worked yeah Yeah. it worked (laughs) the oldies were sweated away oh my god uh, well, they also do this great, they do the, the video callback to the Reese on the VCR from the cop station, but it's mm-hmm. Sarah, you know, and he's saying like, a lot of people have, you know, delusions. They think it feels real. And she says, on August 29th, 1997, it's going to feel pretty fucking real to you too. Anybody not wearing two million sunblock is going to have a real bad day. Get it? Yeah. Which I, I love. Um, so first a dish, a special edition piece, the extended edition had both more the creepy guard, Donnie, mm. and then also had uh, her dream with Reese. And this is really tender, right? So we have Michael Bean, you know, back as Reese and her kind of like, it's demonstrated how she's still in love with him, but he's the one who's like on your feet, soldier, you got to keep fighting. Yeah, but, it, and look, you know, it's great fan service, but it felt contrived, mm-hmm. you know, and I think that's why they- they got rid of it. You don't need it. I mean, Reese is so apparent in Sarah's life the minute you meet her. <laughs> She's doing pull-ups on a turned over hospital bed inside of her, you know, the the uh the mental hospital that she's been confined in, uh, the psychiatric hospital. Um, it tells you you know, it tells you everything that, you know, that Reese, the mark that Reese left on on her life. And you just you just don't need it. You don't need it to be emotional about it. You know, he's gone and she's left alone. I think you feel all that stuff because the filmmaking is so effective. It's probably why they cut it. Mm. When they when you use the Reese footage too much, they call that refried bean. <laughs> <laughs> Nicely done, sir. <laughs> that was not gonna make it to Twitter. It's not gonna yeah. happen. Uh, we do have our introduction, our introduction of Dyson over at Cyberdyne. So we even have the nerd trope with like the out of breath nerd. Yeah, the out of breath nerd. <laughs> that, that, again, that guy is in Avatar. That's the other guy. That not the same guy, but the same character. Type oh yeah, yeah. Is okay. that's the guy who is the other Navi who's yeah. like a big nerd <laughs> and is like upset that like Jake Sully is just showing up and doesn't know anything about the Navi or how to Norm. be in a, yeah, yeah. He's just like, come on, you don't know how, blah, 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 blah. like, you know, and he, he's that guy just running around like Kicking a Kicking over moron. rice paper baskets. Like, yeah. Let me tell you something. You don't want to be that guy in a movie. That is a real, you know, that guy's in trouble. I'm, yeah. yeah, I'm surprised all those guys didn't get wasted. Um, in, they were, the they were lucky they weren't looking, working late. I also thought it was interesting. Dyson, he refers to Dyson as Mr. Dyson. And I was kind of surprised why they didn't make him a doctor. That was just a little weird. He's an entrepreneur, hmm. man. Hmm. You know, interesting. He, he doesn't I make people use his title. He doesn't make, he's not, he's not that formal. He doesn't, he doesn't, he's a PhD and not. A I, I would so. just think from a screenwriting perspective, you would, you'd call it doctor so that you make sure people get that he's like a scientist and. Uh, Very true. Has anyone checked in on the vacuum guy? Is he secretly building, is he secretly building like the super intelligence that's going to take over? And, oh, for sure. You know, like it seems like it, right? Done like deal. he's going from. The vacuums, the air purifiers, to the hair straighteners. Like, he's working on a robot arm. His killing machines never lose (laughs) suction. (laughs) (laughs) 
The battery life, though, can be questionable. Yes. Yes, and the replacement You just have to run the the Terminator, the T-1000 on like turbo and only last like 10 minutes. But the killing he does in those 10 minutes. That's right. My favorite thing, I think we might have talked about this in the first one, but like the extent to which like Cyberdyne and like Skynet is like used as shorthand by like other like tech entrepreneurs Oh, like yeah. their own projects, either as like code names or like the names of their actual projects. Like there was this Vice interview where they went to China to talk about like their AI surveillance and how they like, you know, surveil everyone and like run it through a massive supercomputer network to like detect people and all that stuff is like horribly invasive and, and creepy. And like they're like, what do you call this system? Like cybernet. And it's like, did you watch the movie? <laughs> like it's not that's not that wasn't the takeaway. The takeaway <laughs> wasn't build it like that. The, <laughs> the takeaway is throw yourself into molten lead. <laughs> they got through the first 20 minutes. They're like, this is awesome. This is a great feature. Okay, <laughs> yeah. let's shut off the movie and get back to work here. On the, yeah. It was probably the censored. computer. Yeah, yeah exactly. Uh, so now we have John. So let's talk about, let's talk about uh, Eddie Furlong. Eddie. You know, he's riding the motorcycles. He's doing the ATM hacking. Please insert your stolen card now. I like his dirtbag friend a lot. I like his dirtbag friend with the crazy mullet. He seems like a real he's he's a piece of shit, that kid. You can tell that he's up to he's up to no good. That friend is that friend is trouble. Fair. I mean, you have that haircut, you're gonna be trouble too. Yeah. I don't, I don't know what to tell you. Um, but I love this description of him, you know, John describing what his life was like and and saying that it Sarah's a total loser and you know that he struggled his whole life with dealing with somebody and all of the stuff that she was trying to thrust onto him and creating all that, all that chaos. But then they take their easy money and they head to the mall where they were playing Missile Command mm-hmm. and Afterburner. Yeah, two two classics. Two classics. Yeah, really good. I loved Missile Command. That was a that was a big fan. I mean, that's an older game. That's like a game that's like ten years old when this movie was made. But like, yes, you know, Afterburner was contemporary for sure. But it had a message, right? Like it's like nuclear missiles raining down and trying. Yes, to it was. It was appropriate. It was appropriate. Yeah, it was very game. like height of um, uh, Cold War paranoia. Video, uh, video yeah. game, arcade game. Ryan, what was your preferred arcade uh, or mall? Like, where did you go to play video games in your youth? Uh, it was definitely Sports World in uh, in uh, Bergen County, New Jersey. Uh, it sounds mm. it's funny because you think, but sports was like the only sport being played, and there was laser tag. Uh, okay, it was definitely <laughs> like nerd sports world. But yeah, that was where Street Fighter, Mortal Kombat was all that that kind of mm. that kind of era. I mm. sort of missed the grand arcade era because I was a little too young because. Yeah. yeah, home consoles came in and really like wiped all those things out. So you, you didn't. You, they were movie theaters and things like that. So you definitely like yep. play outside the movie theater. But the, the I'm I mean, it's one of the things I'm really you know sad about because I feel like I would have been better off being born in like 1970 versus 79, and uh, and that was one of the things I missed out on was the great you know the arcade heyday before home consoles. So yeah. I, I regret it. I, I worked at a at an ice cream store. Uh, I worked so at different times as a as a lifeguard selling suntan oil to uh, you know to tourists and whatnot. But like all my money that wasn't going to like my Benetton and Banana Republic habits was going to the arcade. And like we would go to the mall and go to the arcade for an hour like every day. Uh, when I was in yeah. high school, you know, just like you finish school, go over to the arcade, play Super Cobra, you know, or whatever, um, and just have a great time. It was really fun. Ryan, we accept you geriatric millennials as part of as part of the Gen X uh, contingent. <laughs> Thank you. When necessary. We'll no, I'm you, still we'll technically say. Gen X because I was okay. seventy. Barely. I'm right. I'm yeah. I'm right. Yeah. I'm I'm the I'm you know the the cusp of the uh, 
of the Zodiac there, but I yeah. am I am Gen X. And I I feel Gen X. I mean, that's the yeah. thing. I mean, all the things I'm angry about are very Gen X-y things. I don't... Did you have old, older siblings? Do you have older siblings? No, I'm the, okay. old, I'm the oldest right. cousin too. So yeah, it was all just... Right. Wow. Yeah. Dang. You just knew the way. You knew the path. That's right. You knew you knew the correct destination. Yeah. Hmm. That's a, that's a lot of pressure to be the oldest uh, you know, everything. Of, of, <laughs> yeah. of, of that group. Yeah, that's I had to teach them all how to hack ATMs. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Uh, so now we have the showdown in the mall and what transpires basically for the next 12 minutes or whatever of this movie is just absolutely insane. Starting with the T-800 with a shotgun on the roses uh, and it's so iconic. And the shootout in the hallway where the guy just stands there in the middle and does not try to dive down or anything, but just the number of bullets being fired by everybody. Um, doesn't Arnold have like three action sequences in malls? Like he has this one, he has mm. Commando, Commando, there's an action sequence mall. And isn't there a True Lies action sequence yep. in a mall? Oh too? yeah, and the horse in the elevator. Like, <laughs> I mean, it's a, it's a lot going on. Like there, when's the last time, what's the, when's the last time we got a good action sequence in a mall? I feel like it's been, I feel the mall Stranger Things. Lost. There you go. Yeah, but that's like it's inherently a period piece. Like I, yeah. I, it's mm. I feel the mall has lost primacy somehow as like a as a mythic place to mm. to engage in gunplay. Somebody called out Wonder Woman eighty four, which was also an eighties. Like that's the problem. Yeah. If you were to do a mall shootout right now, it would be a mall that has been turned into an Amazon warehouse. <laughs> right. and so like, it's abandoned, and all the all the book the bookstores are closed. It's just not an exciting place. <laughs> we actually in Colony, we shot an abandoned mall in L.A. Um, specifically, oh. there was there's an abandoned mall in like I think on the uh, El Segundo border, South Bay, and uh -huh. um, and we shot it. Uh, we shot a a. a a shootout sequence that starts outside and they run for cover inside. And it's great because the escalators are sort of like half built and it, it was just abandoned. It, it was, it was gutted and abandoned. And it got the you know, overgrown by plants. It's become a filming location because it's the only thing people do with it. But it, it, it was so appropriate for colony because it looks like it's been, you know, fallow for years and years yeah, and years. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah. and it, it is a mall. It's very clearly, mall. it's really cool. So nice. I guess I, I, I did get my mall sequence. There you go. Dystopian mall. Season mm. two of House of Dragon, you could have like a little Orange Julius in the middle of King's yeah, Landing. At the, the, the Old Town District. Galleria. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the Old Town. I love it. I love it. Uh, there's all these great things. You've got the recreation of the Tech Noir shootout with the T-800 yeah. going through the plate glass and sitting up yeah. in the same way. And all, all of that um, is so nicely done. But then we go to the T-1000 running which is, it's funny to have a guy running to be one of the most iconic things of the movie, but it definitely yeah. works. He's a good runner. Really good arm pumping on that guy. He is, he, he, it's scary the way he runs. He taught Tom Cruise everything he knows. Yes, it is the Tom Cruise run. It's that frenetic- The hands. But yeah. but he, he did special training so that as he was running, his face would not, like he wouldn't be breathing hard and he wouldn't be reacting. Like Tom always looks like he's really going for it. Wow, and here yeah. he looks like he is just focused and and unmoving. But yeah. it is floopy. It is a little more, Tom gets a little more work done. His face won't move anymore either. So it's not gonna be, it'll be he'll, he'll fix that for <laughs> I mean, I'm just like in taking me back to the theater um, and this chase scene through the floodways. The T-800 yeah. um, shooting the locks out and flipping the shotgun around um, as he's driving. The truck jumping off. The truck, this is one of those things. The truck jumping off the viaduct is one of those sense memories that like I, 
can distinctly feel in my body what happened when I saw that on screen. I had never seen a truck plow through a bridge and into a, I like, it's just like, I didn't know they could do that in the real world. It's a, it's amazing. It's absolutely amazing. It, and it come every time I see it, I hadn't seen it in maybe 10 years. It comes back to me in a rush, what that felt like to see. At the end of that movie, there should be an in memoriam for the, the 25 stunt guys <laughs> that died in the making of the movie. <laughs> just, and Cameron's just like, you know, what you do, what you do, you need to do to get the shot. That's it. Some teamster's going to have to drive this truck <laughs> off a bridge. With no windshield. Yeah. yeah. Real, just, it just absolutely incredible. The motorcycle jump, uh, the truck exploding. I mean, yeah. is this the greatest action sequence in cinema history? It's got to be top five. Easily. It's got to be top yeah. five. It, this whole sequence from the from the mall out to the chase through the viaduct is on so iconic and so durable in terms of how of its effect it's got to be top five yeah yeah um i mean certainly just in practical turn i mean turn it's just i mean the movie itself is just yeah it's an action masterpiece this the, the staging the execution the editing the sound design i mean it's just it's a master class the whole thing mm-hmm mm. So we do have some nice character development now with John and the T-800. Um, I love when they call his parents. What's wrong with Wolfie? I can hear him barking. Is he okay? Wolfie's fine, honey. Wolfie's just fine. What are you? <laughs> Your foster, foster parents, parents are, are dead. dead. If he can do any voice, why does he do that voice? <laughs> this cut, that's a good question. That's a fair question. This cut that they do where... She of the crazy hair, Vasquez of the crazy hair, is gonna put the blade through yeah. the Gattaca doctor's head. And like they just show her switch the phone from one ear to the other, and then you hear the thunk. That is immaculate filmmaking. I mean, that is so good because you know what happened, but like you haven't seen it. And again, I remember the audience reaction, like everyone knew what that meant but hadn't seen it and it was this building like gasp because you hear the you hear the thwunk and everyone's like on edge oh. and like a murmur starts and then you see the guy with the blade and the milk carton fall and the whole thing and everyone just freaking loses it it's, it's so it gross through his head right through his yeah. mouth or whatever it's just through the milk carton and the milk carton's yeah. through the milk on carton. it. it's milk carton head yeah all the way through yeah uh. and also like her reaction right of like staring at it and kind of like uh, wondering about it a little bit, I thought was so effective. We joked about when we were watching the movie for the Chuckle Hut that this podcast was just going to be a lot of, how good is that? And like, <laughs> and like, honestly, it's hard because this movie is just quite excellent. This is the Chris Farley show, but for action movies. <laughs> yeah, remember, yeah, right. <laughs> you remember when you put the blade <laughs> through his head and it pierced the mouth of the milk? Awesome. <laughs> Uh, I, I just trying to think without getting too deep into everything. Uh, you know, I like John saying, you know, recounting, sorry, kid, your mom's a psycho. Didn't you know mm. one of the family lines, uh, you know, of, of my middling years, uh, you know, my twenties was because you told me to. Why the hell did you do that? 
because you told me to. Um, we mm-hmm. used that one all the time. <laughs> That's a random pickup, but I like it. That's good. Uh, I don't know. I just always liked it. So now we go to Pescadero um, and we have basically the breakout scene. And yes, starting with Adani the Creep. Yes, Kill Bill. The Lick. Can we, can we talk about the Lick for a second? There's some dispute about this in the Discord, I think, because was the Lick always in the theatrical cut? Was that always was that always in there? Yes, it was there okay. when I saw it because I saw it with okay. my dad, yeah. and it was intensely uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah. All right. Good. Yeah, but good. there's more. There is the the special there's more edition. The, there's no, the more spe- like abuse. There's more abuse by Donnie and the other guard okay. um, to kind of set that up. But so the chessboard floor shot of oh the T one thousand. Oh my it's god! It's just like holy, sh- like my god! Uh, I couldn't the, believe it. And also these like twins. Getting the guy, yeah, the, the tw- with the guy taking him out. So then this is a this whole hospital psychiatric hospital sequence is like a big breakout sequence for stocky gentlemen in tight shirts tucked into their pants. Like that's <laughs> like a it's like a big vibe in Pescadero is the is the is the kind of pudgy dudes with a tight shirt tucked into their pants. But the patriarchy is being smashed through them, right? Yes, like, that's that's the thing. It's they're not making it out. With those with those pants, but it's gonna yeah I, yeah I don't understand that tucking tucking the shirt in. And by the way, the sound effect when Sarah bashes that guy over the head with the broken oh the broken broom handle the oh yes and the, and the flash that you know that they he like he like strobes the screen on the on mm-hmm. the hit to make you feel like it hit you. You in got the head. hit. And, oh yeah. man, just yeah. I love that effect where they put in like the one frame of white to like make it to make it feel like a shock. It's it, it really works. And then she picks up the baton. This is one of my favorite moments. Of, I had the same note, Jason. Yeah, of her physicality when she, she picks dances. up the batons and she like flips it under her arm and she does this little like like running prance down the hall. It just like it completely sells like, oh, this is like someone who knows how to handle themselves. Like you're not going to want to fuck with this lady. She's going to bash the shit out of you with this baton and like prance off as you lay down bleeding is yeah. great. Yeah. Hell yeah. Here come the Hell bleach yeah. needles. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I so I love I love all that. And then I again the this was another needles. this was another one on the rewatch that took me out a little bit. Um as John and the T eight hundred are pulling up, he says, you know, I want you to swear. Just put your hand up and say I swear. I swear I will not kill anyone. <laughs> I was like, this is just purely a trailer line, right? Like that's why they that's why they did that to put it in the trailer. Maybe. I don't know. I don't remember what the trailer was. I don't I don't remember if that was in the trailer, but um but yeah, I mean it's just they're having fun. It's like a boy and his robot, you know, there is a bit of an <laughs> ET thing going on there. Yeah, with, yeah. Like that's you know, that's as seen through the eyes of a 13 year old. That's, you know, kind of stuff. You make him stand on one leg and, you know, make him promise not to kill things and I, I don't know. Yeah. I, I buy it all as in world. I mean, I, you're you're right. I mean, I do love the way he's like, put your leg down because uh, he doesn't <laughs> want it to, to not look cool. That moment is great. But like, why don't I want it to be fun? I guess that's my question. Why do I want it to be just dark and, and I cynical? I think because you're and old. Intense? And again, you're joyless. I think the, the, okay. the degree to which I think, again, like the degree to which I was 15 when I saw this movie and Eddie Furlong, I was like, yeah, that makes sense. Like, I would test the robot, too. What test would I give him? I would do something like touch your nose or whatever. Like, mm. you know, I, like it. that all seems very relatable. But like, I do think watching it, watching it now, I was like some of that stuff. I could see why you're saying that. But like, I can't 
I can't divorce myself from the experience of having seen it. You're like, I can see how you're dead inside, but I'm not dead inside. Yeah, so. well, I am, but not about this movie. <laughs> I think the thing was that Jason and I saw the movie at a time when like, we were peers of Eddie Furlong, and you exactly. you, just, you, you, you were like, oh, this, this punk kid is annoying me. You know, sort of like, for me, it was that's an older kid, and I did not, I don't, I don't, this will surprise exactly no one in your audience, but I did not. <laughs> Look like that when I was when I was, <laughs> when I was twelve years old. It was wearing a lot of camouflage and Public Enemy T-shirts at that yeah. age. Yeah. So this was definitely an aspirational image for me. Yeah. Yeah. I've never had that much hair as Eddie Furlong <laughs> had in my whole life. Like I never was able to have like a lesbian flop over hair like that. Like yeah. it's never been an access. This was like Wop. eight years post Black Berets for me. You know, like so my my. Um, you know, I was just, I was in oh, shotgun yes. phase, but you know, I, I was not, uh, you know, being Florida a kid. is a, Florida is a whole other different youth culture. We don't know what's going on down there. Whole other thing. Um, we have the T-800, like her reaction to seeing the T-800 and selling that, that terror was so good. Yes. I really love that. Come with me if you want to live is awesome. Come with me if you want to live. Blowing the T-800's head open, like just the, mm -hmm. the, again, the effects in this and the blending of the CG and the practical, right? They had both sculpts and uh, and CG effects for that. Yep. Well, oh. and critically the effect of like the gun against the metal, right? Like the, the him dissolving through the, uh, dissolve, the T-1000 dissolving through the bars. And, mm. the, and the gun clanking against the metal bar. Yeah, to remind you that it's a physical object. Yeah, it's just a yeah. glorious little piece of... That's the easiest part of that shot, and it's the best thing. Yes, it's, there's it's, no effect. so it's smart. Just, yeah. just do a little clank against the bars, and yeah. it's amazing. Yeah. That that's that that's like what you said, Ryan, at the beginning. It was like that attention to detail. Yes. Like, that is like... You wouldn't... Like, that's... Like, that is some genius level shit right there. Mm-hmm. It's frustrating. Really effective. <laughs> so uh, we have more T-1000 running. We have even him smashing out the glass window, which is a callback to Terminator 1, uh, you know, when Arnold mm -hmm. punched through the windshield. Uh, but ultimately we have, uh, you know, them escaping. I did want to call out the car interior shots as they're driving at night were kind of like, it's rear projection and it was like hilariously bad. This is the one thing in the movie that looks not good. The rear I don't projection. know if you notice that. I don't. I don't think I ever noticed it, but yeah, okay. But one thing that one thing just to call that we did that that Rusty points out in chat was like when he uses the T one thousand metal arms to open up the elevator, like mm -hmm. with his the little double prong thing that he pushes it through and it splits into a thing. Like that was like a staple of my childhood as well. It was like oh, like pretending I had like T one thousand abilities, like open <laughs> or like slice through something and open my brother's bedroom door or whatever. I absolutely love that. It's so cool, and then like it, it it draws you in to like ask questions, like what kind of shit can he make? Like what? How can yeah. he do this stuff? Yeah, um, it's so cool. It's almost like Green Lantern, right? Like that idea of you can form anything that you can imagine. Uh, yeah. but this is but this is knives. Yeah, <laughs> any knife you can imagine. Any knife you can imagine. So they now we had the repair scene. Another line, you know, my 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 CPU is a neural net processor, a learning computer, and this is in the special edition, the T eight hundred upgrade scene, which is one of the greatest shots in cinema oh. history. Yeah, you know oh. this one. No, please tell me about it. Oh my God! So Todd Todd Baziri has uh, posted about this extensively. Oh, so I've se I've seen it from Todd's post. That's yeah, it's a shot where Sarah there. is working, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. opening his head, and you see in the mirror. But it turns out it's not a mirror; it's actually a window, right. and it's not Linda; it's Linda's twin sister. Uh, yeah, that's on the other side of the window. 
It's just fucking crazy. It's like a it's like a contact trick shot. Like yes. it's like where it's just like okay, they've invented some alternate dimension in order to shoot this movie. But That's without any computer generated stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Like... Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> Can you think of like a great trick that you that you guys used, Ryan, in either where uh, you opened up a por- a pocket dimension? Uh, just something where you movie. really pulled a trick. <laughs> you were able to do something practical to really trick the audience. Nothing is leaping to mind. I mean, that, that's the thing. It's hmm. like it's the shame of of modern day filmmaking. It's so easy to do all this stuff that you don't. Mm. It's just cheap. It's just cheaper and quicker to just, you know, <laughs> write it off as a visual effect shot because mm-hmm. you know, these things are so cheap. You can, and you a lot of these things you can just send off to you know uh, uh, because it's if you're not rendering a dragon, you just send it off to a house, a, you know, a cheap a cheap house and in Asia somewhere that can render it overnight and send it back and, or you can do it huh. in house. Yeah. We have in house, you know, effects people that are, that are doing these things. So yeah, it's just sad because you, you lose a lot of that stuff, but. Mm-hmm. We had talked about it um, with Greg the, a couple times ago when he came, like we were suffering a bit of volume fatigue after a couple of the shows that we had seen. Yeah. And it was something that was staggering was how seamless the volume work was in yeah, House was, of the Dragon. Yeah. I mean, it's just amazing. The oh, bridge thanks. scenes stood out. They, they, uh, you know, they look so good. Uh, or even my favorite is the Sept, right? The Sept is the best one to me because it, it really does the, it does the trick. The, the, the bridge is awesome, but it's still it like, it works. It's an you're in a fantasy show. Like if that yeah. was a, if that was, you know, I don't know, Gladiator. It, I think it, I think it would. It would you feel it, but this fact that there are dragons there, and you know this is a fantasy castle, it all kind of works. But the sept is my favorite. Uh, it's my favorite yeah. trick because it, it's it just works and it's amazing. Yeah, dude, the sept blew my mind. Uh, this is episode two, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so when they are they're there at it's the mother. I'm assuming they were praying to. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But when I saw in the background, you can't make out exactly who it is, but to realize, dude, we're in the sept. There are the seven and they're spread around and there's altars for each one. Like I was so transported back into that world. Yeah, that's great. Um, steeped in it. Yeah, they were all there too. They were all, they designed all those and threw them into the deep background. You never see them, but yeah, they were all, they had to, they had to make the assets to, you know, make the unreal thing work. God damn. Ah, that is so cool. So we do get, you know, chill out, Dickwad and hasta la vista, no problemo, that that stuff. And then we have, so on the second time watching it, I was pulled a little bit more to John and the Terminator when they're doing um, slaps and stuff. And the fact that the, the T-800 is learning, the fact that they do show them doing the thumbs up. I thought the thumbs up came out of nowhere, but then I realized, okay, that was seated here. And that sort of like creeped it up for me. Yeah, it makes you cry. Yeah, I mean it's super emotional, and like you have to, you have to, you have to buy the lock, which is it's a, a boy and his robot. But I think, I think if you do it, it all kind of works. You know, it's it's very he's very good at that sort of base emotion, and not in a bad base way, but he understands just the the sort of binary of human emotions and how to you know how to how to play at them. Mm. Mm. Really good. Last piece uh, before we go to Dyson, and that is, uh, you know, her carving no fate, but what we know, what we make, like just so classic. Um, but her dream and the explosion—that shit is great, yeah. right? Oh That's my a good god! Dream. Yeah. Oh my god! 
that shit is so good. And like as a child of the 80s, like that really like there was a lot of comments about our our older from our older audience members, like people who grew up during the Cold War, where it's just like, yeah, you just assume this was going to happen one day. Like you were just kind of told that this was like the inevitable like endpoint of the current moment was that the world was going to die in a nuclear holocaust that looked exactly like this. Yeah, but <laughs> if you good. hid under your desk, you'd be fine. Duck and cover. Yeah, <laughs> but the shot of of her with her body being blasted away and just her skeleton holding the fence is. All she time. gets like I hit know. by three shock waves. Like the editing in that moment is pretty wild because it's like she gets hit, she's burning, and then the first shock wave comes, and then there's like another cut. Then it's like cuts back, and it's just her skeleton. Then her skeleton gets blown up. Like it's a lot. Like she gets <laughs> she gets rocked by this by this nuclear blast. They're tough. Uh, try not to tough. get in there. She takes it right to the face. Yeah. Uh, so the, she goes to take out Dyson. And I do love this, uh, that she's the Terminator now. They actually even give her the Terminator music as she is making her way in to kill not only Dyson, but putting at risk his wife, played by S. Epatha Merkerson, Reba, the male lady on Pee Wee's Playhouse. Oh, That's right. All right. Oh, yeah. All right. Very good. Good pickup. She was great. Uh, you know, Donnie was you know, the little kid I thought was great. This is the problem with this like long termism like philosophy that's so popular among t- Silicon Valley tech billionaires is like if you believe the future of civilization is at risk, you can just go murk a man's whole family in order to <laughs> avoid it. Like that's like the what the that's what the utilitarian equation suggests that you must do. <laughs> that was our takeaway. Yeah, I always thought there would be a fascinating sort of Lega sequel with uh, with Danny once he's grown up, you know. Yeah, Danny. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So apparently, it took them five days to shoot the interior scenes uh, in the house, which really? seems like a long time. Uh, also, the lighting—you called that out, Jason. The oh lighting on her. There's like the shadow behind her on the wall. It was so intense. It was really. My guy Dyson has a very strange house. He's got like like it's there's like he's got like essentially like theatrical lighting like rigged up and it look like his 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 house is like is rigged up in such a way that if he wants to put on like a black box production of like you know a Sondheim musical he's ready to go. It's like an early like, smart home, right? Yeah, is that, yeah, that's sort of what yeah. they're going for. Yeah, yeah, I guess yeah. that's true. I guess that's true. Yeah, it was not dissimilar to uh, what's his name's house, in the bad guy in Heat, uh, where where Bobby tosses the glass, uh, tosses the chair through the glass. It seemed mm. it was given that vibe. Yeah, I'm talking yeah. to a fucking dead man. <laughs> William oh, Fickner, right. uh, Fickner, yeah. oh, yes, yeah, Fickner's house. Yeah, yeah okay to his? go. Van Sant. Mm. Yeah. Oh yeah, Van Sant. Yeah. So good. Um, all right, so we get to Cyberdyne again. It's another like twelve minute segment of just absolutely nonstop, Man. unbelievable action. Yeah. Um, the sound of the grenade launcher um, as he's shooting stuff, and the backdraft when he's standing there and it, and it explodes. Um, all the cops, the uh, the minigun, the eight hundred taking all of that stuff. It's just the minigun is beautiful. What a just Arnold with a minigun. Well, I mean, that's just like Christmas morning, really. Like just, that's just uh, makes just you wonderful. happy. Yeah, and uh, to me, the the funniest line in the movie, low key funniest line in the movie, uh, the cops are here. How many? All of them, I All think. Th- <laughs> like, just the most honest kid read, and it's like it's just the greatest. Yeah, really great. <sighs> Uh, we do have uh, Miles Dyson buying it Gorman style, so I thought that was a nice. Oh uh, yeah, back with the breathing. Uh, yeah, Cameron loves to have someone die with a grenade. Uh, mm-hmm. That's great. And it's he's a 
He's an interesting, fascinating thing. With and he plunges it with the sort of exploded model of the CPU. So you know the little section of the you know, yeah larger larger than scale uh, Terminator hmm. CPU. Very, That's very a fun solid. prop. The thing that he hits thing. is is a is yeah. a pretty fun looking prop. Uh, there's, I mean, there's so much in this sequence alone. I think the chase from the mall is the better action sequence, but mm. I think the props are at a next level in this sequence. Like you've got that grenade thing. This, the, the, the grenade launcher itself sounds Great. phenomenal. Like yeah. uh, the, the, where he stands in the window and shoots that out. The, your jacket comes from this scene, right? Yep. Like comes yep. from this scene. Uh, the like elevator. the mini gun, like is unreal. Right. The it's whole thing with so him, much stuff. The when, stolen when, arm, the stolen yeah. arm, great prop. Yeah, yeah, and and the um, when he's walking, he t he says, "I'll be back," and leaves them in the elevator, and then walks down the hallway. Stay here, I'll be back. That was all a practical um, Stan Winston figure mm. uh, that the guys are operating. There's like three guys operating as they're moving him down, the, getting shot a million times. Gas uh, mask presaging the Avatar masks mm. on mm -hmm. Pandora. Mm -hmm. Also, when he just starts shooting guys with the um, with the tear gas, <laughs> the tear uh, gas launcher. canisters, yeah, love that. <laughs> Zero fatalities. He does the scan at the end. Yeah, holds his fine. promise. Yes, yeah, really, really good. Um, also, the T one thousand driving up the motorcycle stairwell. Great, Led Zeppelin style. That is one of my favorite lines in the. That's actually another one of my favorite little moments in the movie is when the T one thousand picks up the bike and the motorcycle cop comes up to him and he's like, "Oh, is everything all right?" He's like, "Yeah," and then. There's this little push in when he looks like off to the corner and then looks down at the bike and says, say, that's a nice bike. And the little push in makes it so funny. Like yes. it makes it, it like it, it may, it's just so like it's so winking like to the audience of like you just know you just know exactly what that scene is about. I love that. I love the mm. way that little moment is done. Really good. So now we have T-1000 motorcycle versus chopper and he has got the chopper and we are on a chase now to see if they can get away. Again, this is another homage to the to Terminator 1 that had the, the great highway chase at the end. So I want to play Cameron uh, yeah, now this is great. On, the, on the helicopter. Now here it gets interesting. You see this helicopter going under a freeway overpass? Yeah. That's a helicopter going under a freeway overpass. <laughs> the crew... That was the, real? The camera crew said, we won't shoot that. So so I said, okay, fine, I'll shoot it myself. <laughs> and uh, it was just me and the insert car driver following the helicopter through there. You was mean it, that, that guy really just flew that under that overpass? Yeah, it was Chuck Tamburo. He said, I'm going to go, I'm going to just give me a few minutes to work on this. I'm going to fly down there. Now watch this move. Watch, this is Mike Tamburo pulling up and just, just barely clearing the skids over that mm -hmm. thing. And he knew exactly what he could do and, and, and how to do it. I mean, these are not things you should do with a helicopter, but these guys are so good. <laughs> What's Again, the insurance policy in look like? Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Prayers for that man's family. What what's the insurance policy look like if you want to fucking fly a helicopter down a freeway in Los Angeles? I mean, what how do you even do that? How do you even get like permission to do that? Like what's I mean the... today you could absolutely could not. I'm shocked. <laughs> oh, really? And I know no one would ever know there, there's no line producer that would ever <laughs> allow that to happen. Cameron aside, like it just it I'm I'm shocked that actually that feels like a 70s thing yeah versus like yeah. A, an 80s or 90s thing uh it's shocking but i mean you know cameron was you you didn't tell cameron no obviously right right well he described actually just before that clip he he described he described it being in a chase helicopter following the other helicopter and the guy 
going from a thousand feet down to four feet off the deck. And he said, it was one of the greatest moments of my career. Just the feeling of zero gravity as we were going down oh to God. get that shot. Just absolutely. I have, a, I have a helicopter movie making story. I was- Is it Air Force One? Is or that, uh, is Marine One? Marine Sorry. One, it's not Marine One. But okay. I was in the helicopter. I, would, I took it, I was in Ireland. I took a helicopter ride out to um, Michael Skellig, the island where they Luke's. shot the mm -hmm. Luke's Island. And it was closed. You couldn't walk there then because like it had eroded and they need to repair it. You couldn't get out on it, but you could fly over it. And the helicopter pilot who took us um, was the guy who did the hell. was one of the helicopter pilots for the movie who had shot um, for um, Force Awakens and, and, and also in the second one. And this was between this was between episode seven and eight coming out. Uh, and he. And he was like, do you want to see what the shot was like? And he did like one of like the passes of like flying down um, to the island as though you were the as though you were the Millennium Falcon. How'd alive. you feel? I felt I felt alive. I felt alive. <laughs> it was great. It Vomited was great. all over the inside of the <laughs> helicopter. But yeah. That's a lively feeling. Yeah. What was, what was your take, Ryan, on Force Awakens? First time you saw it in theaters? Uh, I was I, it very much threw all of the nostalgia circuits in my brain. Um, yeah. I, it, it hit it hit me in all the right places the fir the first time. Yeah, one hundred percent. I was the same way. I saw I saw it on release night at the at the uh, Smithsonian uh, Space and Science Museum, and like holy I was shit, and like absolutely thrilled. My first daughter had just been born, so I wasn't sleeping, and I I had that like sort <laughs> of like the love hormone kind of thing going on. So it was just mm -hmm. it was just it was a very emotional time in my life, and I think being having a kid of my own and being sucked back into my childhood. It was a, it was a sort of unicorn moment kind of, you know, yeah, you celestial amazing. planets aligning sort of thing. You think about mortality 24 yeah. hours a day in that state. It's great. It's a perfect yeah. time for a star Wars movie to come. Well, you think about your children killing you with a lightsaber. <laughs> yeah. So that's what happened. That happens later. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think about watching them on a playground, holding onto the fence. Right, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, all right. So we have a you know a great chase. We have the cryo truck flipping, um, and now we have just the sound of the T one thousand as it's trying to walk through the cryo and it's breaking and awesome. you know all of that struggle. And then we have finally the shot um, and just the sound of it exploding. There's a practical effect. There must have been like a piece of string or something that they yanked. You can kind of see how it, how it comes apart. Just it's so beautiful. beautiful. Wonderful. It's so yeah. great. This is like one of those. Hasta like la a, vista, baby. Yeah. There's a couple things on this. One is on TikTok, there's like a, there's like a genre of, of TikToks that's like, um, I forget what it's called. It's like content for men. And it's just like, it's just like dudes <laughs> lifting up like uh it's just like a like lifting up a frozen sheet of ice and dropping it on the ground and, and it breaks and the guy rates the breaking of the ice. Um it's like, you know, nine out of ten. And like, you know, it's just like, you know, and most of them are like, you know, highly scored anyway. But it's like there is something so satisfying about seeing the T one thousand like bust apart like that. Derek pointed out in chat too about this that in the in the extended edition, him being in uh, liquid nitrogen and recombobulating after like is what produces that glitch effect that you only see once in the theatrical release. But like he basically is a little effed up from having been frozen and decombobulated uh, mm -hmm. in this shot, which I thought was interesting. Yeah, it's a great evolution. It shows shows there is a weakness in the robot. Yeah, yeah, 
Well, and the fight with the T-800 is so good. You have both like the reverse flip when he gets slammed and he turns around um, and then, uh, you know, uh, the 800's fist getting stuck in his head um, mm -hmm. and then getting the gears grinded or, and then even in the next scene, getting the spear through his chest. I love how completely overmatched the 800 is. Um, and that is really, really effective. Yeah, I love the the punch through the wobbly the wobbly metal thing. That's that's a rough move. If you can't if you can't even hit the guy, that's a rough move to have to deal with. Oh, and he also gets smashed like Nemec mm -hmm. uh, when he's smashing him with the thing that he's running. Yeah. He's running into him. Mm -hmm. Did you watch Andor, Ryan? Yep. Yeah. Yeah, enjoyed the shit out of it. Uh, <laughs> what a show. Um, okay, well you know what time it is. <laughs> okay, so we have the coolest shotgun reload in history, yes? Yes. <laughs> yes. I mean, is it cooler than when he's doing the, the twirly. 360? Yeah, the twirly. Yeah. Is it I think you just got so used to seeing it at that point that it just, and it's also Linda Hamilton and it's, it's yeah. a human doing it. Mm. Um, and it's a woman. There's something, you know. Yeah. There's something so. about that. There's something so heartbreaking when she's out of ammo on the last shot too. Like I yeah. knew, I like obviously knew that she was gonna be, but I still was like so pulled into rooting for her to have one more shell. Uh, it was, it's, it's so well done. It's a brilliant sequence. It's, I mean, it's almost like new close your eyes, baby, right? Yeah. At the end of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, just coming up short, but of course the T eight hundred is there. His grenade, that explosion, and the the. T-1000 going into the, the metal and all of the forms and stuff. Um, quite the mouth in the, the mouth in the mouth is really haunting. That's a lot, that's a, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's pretty yeah. gross. Uh, T-800 says, I need a vacation. Which is, <laughs> that does, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, pull you out a bit, yeah. <laughs> a, a, little, a little bit. Uh, but so we have the, I know why you cry, but it's something I can never do. Good night. <laughs> um, so, there is a, a tender moment, I will just say, with with Furlong and uh, and even with uh, Linda, with uh, you know uh, Sarah doing the handshake and stuff. Like it, it, it is an earned moment, I think. Totally. in terms of that that connection. Yeah. Uh, Feeling sad for a robot. Mm. Yeah. So now we have the unknown future rolls toward us. I face it for the first time with a sense of hope, because of a machine. A Terminator can learn the value of human life. Maybe we can too. And credits. Boom. Need a cigarette. <laughs> it's great. It's just great. I love it. I love the way it looks. I love all the the blue Cameron-ness of it. It looks like so cool yeah. in temperature. It, that may, it really pays off when the whole last of the movie is just like on fire and yeah. molten. It's really brilliant. As, as you guys are like sort of speed pitching way through it, you realize how well constructed the st structure is. It, it is a it is a it is a mo movie on the run on the you know on the road. They never slow down. They never stop. It's very it's very yeah. much like a Terminator in itself. It you know you move from action sequence to action sequence. There's nothing superfluous. It's telling the story. It's about getting somewhere. It's constantly evolving. The stakes are raising. The action is getting more mayhemy as you go along, and then it goes down to the it irises down to the very personal third act, where it's really just the three of them, four of them in the um, in the uh, uh, smelting facility or wherever. Whatever <laughs> yeah, yeah. Found. Spark factory. Yeah, this is the big spark factory. It's a good place. It was to like forty-eight degrees inside, by the way. Yeah, uh, it was yeah. really cold. Yeah, um, 
but uh, yeah, it's just it's it's just yeah, it's a it's a masterpiece. It's a masterpiece. It's a ma- it's a it's a masterpiece of filmmaking. True yes. cinema. Yeah. Hundred percent, hundred percent, and and even uh, you know to the end we have the switch of the credits over from Brad Fidel's score over to Guns and Roses. You could be mine. Yeah, it's an interesting challenge on the masterpiece of filmmaking front, which I totally agree with because like you know there's this whole broader debate about like IP filmmaking with like the Marvel stuff and the Scorsese fight against the Marvel stuff, which in general I find pretty tedious. Um, and, and like, I, I just don't think there's like a lot of, I just don't think there's a lot of substance there to like talk about, but it's interesting to like go back and look at it through the lens of like, this is obviously a IP sequel, it's Terminator 2, but it is like the Criterion Collection should put it out. Like it's a cinematic, it is a yeah. cinematic masterpiece. Like how, how, how could you argue it's not just because it happens to involve robots and smelting factories. And so like, I, I think it does, I think it does like point to the, as is being pointed out in chat, that's a false binary between the idea of there's some movies that are not movies for some weird reason that no one can really articulate. Um, no, it's, a, it's, yeah, it's a, it's the height of the art form. It's a, it, this is a, this is a major pivot point there. There are the movies before T2 and then there, you know, action movies before T2 and then after T2, it's just, there's no question that this is a major, you know, it's as important as Citizen Kane in yeah, exactly. the history of filmmaking because it's this moment where things change. Yeah. What, what is possible has been, right. has been transformed. And like Citizen Kane, like Citizen Kane is the storehouse of technique that everyone points to as being important as is T2. But like Citizen Kane is also like, just like a pulpy fun story. Like there's a, there's a fun story in, in Citizen Kane, like as there is in T2, it doesn't involve robots and like hunting or whatever, but like it, it is like, it, it is, it, <laughs> exactly. exactly. Just think. But I, I, I like this idea of I, Cameron obviously cares deeply about story and about character um, and about, you know, sort of it, interpersonal relationship. And I think it's true uh, for that. It's true for House of the Dragon, right? Like you guys aren't just telling a show that is about dragons and people cutting each other up like that would be much less interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think I think it's like you know, Cameron didn't make the film cynically. He's not cashing a paycheck. Mm-hmm. He's not just doing the thing that he thinks the audience would love. It's like, he actually thinks that this is, is great. And he is, he is at the height of his art and he's pushing all these, these, these limits. And he's not making a thing to make a big, uh, to make a buck. He like, he's actually making something that's in him. It's his DNA. And I think, you know, we, we try to do the same, you know, with the show. And I think there's cynically made genre and then there's, you know, passionately made genre. And, you know, some, I think you can usually tell the mm. difference. Mm. Um, briefly, I just want to mention the special edition has the alternate ending um, where Sarah is in 2029 um, on the playground. Oh, right. Yeah. Um, and John is there, but he is now a senator. And I just uh, I want to play this clip real quick of Cameron because I thought it was really smart. So it worked. The idea that you can change the future, we get to see that, yes, that happened. But there was a sense that why tie it up with a bow? If the future is changeable, then the battle is something which has to be fought continuously. And you can't do it with a single stroke. That it's the dualism, the dynamic between good and evil that is eternal. Mm, I love that. It's really good. This is the thing we talk about too with Avatar, because the knock on Avatar is that it's 
it's it's Pocahontas in space. Like it's it's this easy trope of like, you know, white saviorism, which isn't untrue. And there's a, you know, a valid critique to be made there. But Cameron knows what he's doing. Like he knows like how he's using these tropes of like good versus evil mm -hmm. or like, you know, uh, like exploitation of natural resources. He knows what he's doing with these tropes and the history that they have in cinema and how to like couch them in the historical terms they've been used and then do something new that like transports the viewer to this completely completely unexplored landscape, someplace we've just never been before in movies, um, which is like his true gift. That's what he does better than anyone else. Mm. Well, so you, James Cameron. Cameron. You're too good. You're too Cam good. It should be illegal. <laughs> Jim, Jim wins. Ryan, who would Tilda Swinton play? Uh, I mean, the T-1000 is such an easy answer. Oh! But I'm going to, I'm going to take a, I'm going to take a, uh, I'm going to take a hard left turn and say Enrique. I want to go to Tilda <laughs> Swinton, yes. the arms dealer in the, <laughs> yeah. uh, in the south of the border uh, desert. Love it. Love I love it. that camp. We didn't talk about it, but I love there's just like, oh, yeah, I know a guy like I know a guy who's got an arms camp. That's yeah. like just, you know, got a buried like locker full of munitions. Yeah. No problem. Yeah, really and good. I just want to hear Tilda Swinton say to Linda Hamilton, "Why don't you take the fillings out of my fucking teeth, Connor?" Stayed <laughs> yeah. kind of way. Oh, that's awesome, Jason. How about you? Well, she has the hair for Eddie Furlong. They have the same haircut. <laughs> oh, is good. the thing. So, so I think I would start there and see what she could do. See what she could do with young John Connor. Um, since I can't stand him so much, I would put her as sober in. I'd like uh, to see her as the sadistic, uh, yeah. the sadistic doctor would yeah. be, would be awesome. Ryan, we did it. We did it. Oh awesome, my guys. God. Terminator two. We covered all the Terminator movies on this podcast together. <laughs> yes, That's right. There was never and they any never made, made any other ones. <laughs> 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 I honestly actually have never seen any of the other ones. I haven't either. Uh, yeah. I, uh, T3. Okay. Yeah. Wait, shrug. Shruggy emoji. Yeah, I, I, I get it. Um, it's a wild, it's a wild, wild thing. All right. Well, so Ryan, I mean, like, uh, what do you have to plug other than, other than season Yeah. What's two? the status of your podcast though? What's the, I just recorded, we, this was a full podcast day at the crack of dawn this morning. We recorded our season <laughs> oh my. finale or in our 2022 finale. Uh, this, this season morning. four. Uh, of yes, uh, we did our Christmas special, just talking nonsense at the end of the year. Um, Amazing and uh, year end cleanup and all that. Um, so yeah, so that'll be be back in early twenty three. Um, we'll continue that. That's called the stuff dreams are made of. Yes, uh, and then uh, yeah, we're just I'm working very hard on, uh, on on season two, and that eats the rest of my life. So stay tuned. <laughs> okay. <laughs> awesome well we uh you know we wish you well on the journey um and if you if you have free time and you want to come back i was starting to think of like man near dark you know we oh, got you know one. is definitely very adjacent to to the cameron stuff and i was just thinking like what is a movie that is even epic enough that it would rise to the level of having you return and the one that's been bouncing around in my head is uh wrath of khan oh um, so i'm just gonna throw that at khan yet no, we haven't. No. We've only done Star Trek four for very curious, <laughs> which reasons. is fantastic. Yeah. Oh my God, Brian! Brian's great. What this a convo! Great. Very fun, very knowledgeable, top of the world. I did uh, so. So on my first watch through this week of T three, I was at three stars. Mm hmm. 
bad to the bone, just knocked it, knocked it way down, way okay. down. And, All uh, right. and so I ended up at, I ended up at four, four stars, uh, at, at the end, which I think is the same as your avatar rating. Yes. Yes, exactly. You think really these movies are equal? Yeah. And just really transformational in terms of what they achieve. So, so I feel good about it. I think I believe in a star rating system where it's either five stars or one star. I'm and that's like, it? I'm, yeah, it's either, or maybe just like zero or one stars. Yum or yuck. Yeah, exactly. This Yum. is a five star movie. Nice. Love it. All right. Well, what do you think? Should we do some voicemails? Let's do them. I'm really glad it's too late for Kev to send another voicemail because he just heard me say three stars for. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> All right. Here is our first voicemail. All right, silly. Hey guys, it's silly. No skit this week. I just wanted to call in and say uh, how awesome this movie is. We had a blast and chuckle hut watching it. Still holds up as one of the greatest action movies of all time. Uh, Arnold, one of our greatest movie stars. Uh, and as we run up the year here, uh, I just wanted to say how much I appreciate you guys, the pod, the community we have, and everybody that shows up uh, wow. in the chuckle hut every week, uh, and how much fun that is for me. Um, so. Here's to uh, a great year we just had. Here's to a great 2023. Uh, looking forward to enjoying it with you and, and the new film to look forward to. Talk to you later, guys. Bye. Hell yeah. So, so grateful for Silly, who like really does put in a lot of work for the podcast, screening the movies every week. Uh, and he was screening like World Cup games like as well. Yeah. Which was really fun. That's how I watched the semifinal as I have that like, in my headphones. It was great. And like, you know, there's so many people who do so much for the podcast, like from Corey to Kev, Silly, Chief Emoji Agic, Derek, uh, Sophie, like all, Catcher, all these folks. Yeah, Megan, I mean, Maria. All these people who do so much stuff. Um, and like then, like, you know, just the people in the Discord who are like our true friends um, who hang with that all the time and like, you know, kind of have kept that um, going and mm. as a source of delight in my life. And like, it's, you know, it's nothing that we created. Um, it was just created by the folks who chose to show up. Um, like the podcast was the context for it, but it like the podcast in no way um created the 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 people who showed up or the 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 people who hang out and uh in our Discord. So it's just great. And I encourage people who are listening to this now. We obviously plug the Discord a lot, but if you've dug the po podcast, you've hung out with us a bit, um, Discord's the next great place to to hang out. Because it's not just hanging out with us, it's hanging out with all these great people. Yeah. And even if you have never used Discord before, like you can just look. You don't have to like do anything. There's yeah. no pressure. You can literally just join and like watch people have conversation. And if you want to jump in, you can. Um, so there's a very low barrier to entry. You should give it a shot. Yeah. Um, I am also at this time of year incredibly thankful for everybody that listens and everybody that's joined us and everyone that's a part of this. It, it definitely has been an amazing thing as we've worked our way through this pandemic. So looking forward to next year is going to fucking kick ass. I just mm -hmm. can't, can't believe what we're going to get up to. Mm -hmm. All right. Here's our next voicemail. Hey guys, Kev here. And we are finally talking about one of my favorite movies of all time. The greatest action sci-fi film. You know what? For me, action film ever. Terminator 2, mm. Judgment Day. What do I love about it? I love the steady stream of information you're constantly given while you're looking at something else. I love how the story is about fathers and sons and trying to recover what was lost in basically a <laughs> like a grand operatic battle between man and machine that no one in our world of 1991 can even see. 
Mm. right? Because it happens years from now and they can't see it. Kev's question, Cameron's maximalism knows no bounds, especially in this film where helicopters are flying under overpasses and there's all sorts of giant explosions. So Kev's question is, what is your favorite egregious explosion in any film besides those directed by James Cameron? Mm. I'll give you a very obvious one for me. The real life hospital explosion done by Heath Ledger as the Joker. That was mine. Where the explosives didn't quite go off at the right time. And Ledger expertly improvs the Joker's reaction as the explosions are going off and the hospital collapses. So beautiful. Mm. So beautiful. Thank you guys. Also, last week you were on Austin Pod and I thought it was just incredible. As we all know, of course, Kev's questions recorded organically and not seconds after that episode was recorded. Thank you guys. Again. <laughs> Thank you for letting me do Kev's questions. Love you guys. Bye. Once again, it's Kev's questions. Yo, the uh, that, uh, the uh, the first thing I thought it was the hospital explosion for sure. The the explosion of the home tree in Avatar, though, which we covered on Austin Danger Pod is very affecting still. Uh, it's like, really uh, good. It's really and and like very like multi-dimensional. Like you could see like I mean it's just like all you experience it from below and above and like inside like it's a, it's a very interesting explosion. Uh in I realized I realized just now one of my problems with Avatar originally was that I saw it in the theater and when it got to the home tree scene which is 2 hours into the movie yeah. you peed? No, it uh the the it died. The film died. Oh. And so they gave us like free, refunds. Free yeah. And so then I had to come back and watch it again to see the end of it. So I'm yeah, that sucks. Like, that happened to me with Return of the King, actually. But not oh, really on first, like on a second watch of Return of the King. Yeah. The movie oh, died in the middle of the second reel or something like that. Oof, that's tough. Yeah. But uh, that's a James Cameron answer. So I guess that doesn't count either. Mm. Oh, yeah. What's your trouble. answer? You go I'm going to go with uh, and I, I can't even remember it off the top of my head, but it is the first thing that popped in, in there is uh, I think there's like a huge explosion in the professional. Um, mm -hmm. Luke Besson in the, the shoot. The mm -hmm. bomb, the, I think Gary the Gary does yeah. that. Um, but you could also just as easily do. Um, uh, you know, it's that Christmas time of year, so Die Hard. Uh, yes, you know, pushing stuff down the elevator. Die Hard's a good call. I was the 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 one where, where he jumps off the roof and that too. We talk, where he talked about that. We talked about that in the episode. There's a little flare that goes up first before he jumps off the uh -huh. roof, and then the whole thing explodes. Uh -huh. behind him. That to me is like one of the more interesting visceral, visceral slow motion explosions. So I'm, I'm going to go with that as my non James Cameron answer. Nice, nice, good call, Kev. Happy, happy Christmas, Kev. Yes, and everyone should check out that ADP. It was great to have mm -hmm. the conversation with Kev and Mackenzie. Um, it's been too long since she's been on the pod. We got to get her back. Cool. Yeah. Jimbot, hey, this is Corey from Austin, Texas, calling about Terminator 2. Terminators! Or Judgment Day. Terminators. <laughs> All right, I'm not even going to waste any time. You love this movie. I love this movie. Everybody loves this movie. It's totally cool. James Cameron, blah, blah, blah. It's totally badass. Better than the first. Um, arguably, maybe not. I don't know. I kind of think the first one's really great. But uh, no, I do love this movie. Um, let's just get to Guns N' Roses, okay? Can we get to yes. how You Could Be Mine was the total fucking jam when it was coming out? Everyone was getting all excited and hyped about Use Your Illusion 1 and 2, 2 mm -hmm. records. And 2. 
And now they're going to use this old song that they actually wrote, I think, during Appetite for Destruction, but shelved it and didn't use it. And they're going to put it on the Use Your Illusion records. And then they decided, because they were the biggest band in the fucking world, to use it as the theme song for Terminator 2? Get the fuck out of here. And then they made a video with a bunch of clips from the movie and a bunch of clips from, like, an old concert of theirs. But they spliced it all together. And at the very end, all Schwarzenegger shows up. He's going to kill the whole band. And his little fucking Terminator vision like looking at the guys and looking at Axel and it's like waste of ammo <laughs> oh man this fucking thing was just too cool I love it hey what a tough beat for Edward Furlong <laughs> so when you see John Connor adult John Connor in the movie with his cool fucking stars and he's looking really badass google Edward Furlong he did not grow up to look that cool uh, but anyway who would Tilda Swinton play well, Axel Rose, man, <laughs> can you imagine if Tilda Swinton played Guns Axel Roses? Rose or like, like in a biop, bio, I love a that. biopic about Guns N' Roses? Like, oh, a, my oh God. man, I want to see that so bad. All right. That's it for me, you guys. Uh, really jamming on this schedule for getting all this stuff done. I really appreciate it that we're going to have lots of content to listen to over the Christmas break. I really love you guys. Really appreciate all the hard work everyone's doing, all the calls coming in, all the voicemails, all the chuckle hutters. All the Discorders, all the Terminators. All right. Happy holidays, you guys. Bye. Happy holidays. Oh, Corey. That's great. That's pretty strong. That was a strong voicemail by, from even by Corey standards. That was a really good one. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. Corey's voicemails are so good. Uh, I, I just I, I was listening to his one for the Real Genius episode. Um uh-huh. I mean, I don't want to spoil because it, it won't be out, but it's a it's another banger. It's another all time banger. So just great. Great to get, get ready. ready. Let's do it. Let's do it. Jason, that brings us to the end of 2022. Oh what do you God. have to plug? Bud? I want to plug. I want to plug James Gunn uh, on Twitter. Oh, uh, wow. Uh, I am not a particular James Gunn fan. I think I liked the I like the Guardians of the Galaxy just fine. Uh, sure. One and two. I didn't see the holiday special and now he's running DC and uh, he uh, he was it, he, they announced with the studio that uh, Henry Cavill was going to come back to play Superman and he was going to step away from the Witcher, which I absolutely loved. Yeah. I love Henry Cavill. I was sad to see that he was leaving the Witcher and I think a Helmsworth is taking over the one the Witcher role. Yeah. And Hemsworth. Hemsworth sorry. And then <laughs> and then. Cavill tweets last night, had a meeting with James Gunn, who's now running the DCEU, and I'm not playing Superman, I guess. So I don't know what I'm going to do, uh, but I'm not playing Superman. But I wish that it was very nice to know, like, wish them. He was super, super cool, cool about, about it. it. Gave up this other job to take this other job. Now this other job doesn't exist. I don't know what's going to happen. But he's like, Superman still exists. And he, you know, he, everything he yeah, embodies. The, the, the principles like, of Superman will continue on, even though I am not playing or whatever. Anyway, so. James Gunn, the, this is all like happening on Twitter, which is just wild. James Gunn is like, well, we had a great meeting with him, but like we're rebooting the whole EU and like we're going to start with the Superman origin story. Not an origin story, but just a young Superman story. Right. And so anyway, so people are still asking about this today on uh, on Twitter. And he is just as I'm recording this going back and forth with people 
being like, it's like saying the same thing you said, it's not an origin story. And then someone reply like, why are you such an idiot? No one wants your shitty origin story. He's like, well, it's not an origin story. It's just, as I said yesterday, what exactly, <laughs> he's like explaining himself like tweet by tweet to like, you know, perfect, perfect shots, 24 seven or Garaka 3d <laughs> on Twitter, like explaining like his vision for the EU is just wild. And I, help a broke DCU fan. Yeah, yeah. I don't like DC and I feel something's cursed about it. And I don't think this is going to help undo the curse. Mm. So I want to shout him out for trying that. I, I think good idea. I ultimately, I definitely support the idea of starting over and building a cohesive universe. I think it's smart um, in today's media landscape. And so I think the idea of having fresh young actors coming in and playing all these characters, including our Pats, right? Who's already established and made a great Batman. Like that's, that's your foundation. You're ready to roll. Yeah. I guess you're like whatever. I don't care. I don't care. I don't like Batman. I don't like any of these guys. But like, I, I wish I wish him the best. I hope he continues to tweet through it. Maybe so. Maybe maybe you know whatever. Sarkon seventy two has some like some good plot point suggestions for what to do with Aquaman. They seem to have a lot of opinions. <laughs> Jason's plug is movies he refuses to watch. <laughs> We're gonna watch Aquaman next year. Stay tuned. That's true. Stay tuned. Everybody, happy holidays. Happy holidays. We love you. We'll see you next year. And that's it for this episode. I want to thank Jason and Ryan for an amazing conversation. Next week, we'll be off celebrating the holidays with our families, but never fear, because we ring in New Year's Eve with Fangoria editor-writer and DunePod European 80s correspondent, Meredith Borders. We tackle another one from Meredith's wheelhouse, the Val Kilmer nerd hero classic, Real Genius. If you're enjoying the show, we need your help. Take a minute to leave us a five-star rating and review wherever you listen to your podcast or just tell your friends about us because it really does help new listeners find the show. We also have a Discord server where you can hang out with us online whenever you want, even over the holidays. A link is in the show notes. DunePod is a Tape Deck Podcast, John, a production of H Industries. Our artwork is by Catcher and our theme music was composed by Toby Forsman of Whipsong Music. Transcripts provided by Sophie Shin. The episode was edited by Megan Hayward of Edit Audio and produced by me, H. Thanks for listening. We'll see everybody next week.